five, four, three, two, one. Okay. I'm going. All right. I am going to Bradley. What's up? Oh, my. You're. That's me. I'm Bradley. You're killing me. You're Jeremy. It's, you are Bradley. We're doing Bud I'm the Jeremy. Ford. We're going to do Take a Gander. We're going to talk about Guy Ritchie movies. Let's fucking go. There's our intro. Guy Ritchie movies. That's Who our is intro. Guy Ritchie? Uh, Guy Ritchie is, our, is like some director. Intro. I don't know. <laughs> Just No, he's yeah. perhaps. If maybe if not like by name, one of the most well known directors by style, I would say is like one of the most well known directors, uh, slash writers, yeah. slash producers in, uh, uh, I wouldn't say Hollywood, but like all of filmmaking. Um, yeah, he has a very definitely. distinct style, so much so in I would fact. Agree. When we'll get to, we'll talk about it more later. But there's a scene that I'm thinking about in one of the later movies. Then when I first watched it, like, I, I have recognized, oh, it's Guy Ritchie movie, okay. But, like, I didn't really think about it that much until we got to that scene. And then I'm like, oh, that's, like, classic Guy Ritchie. But going back and watching all these other movies, which had come out before this later movie, that shot, that, that style of shot wasn't present. It just seemed Guy Ritchie-esque to me. And I was like, oh, that's yes. so very unique style. Is what it boils down to. Yeah, which is good. And, and realist, you know, really, that's what being an artist uh, and, and kind of making a name for yourself is all about when you get to a point where you have a distinct style. And we talked about this in the last Above the Board podcast where, you know, when you're, when you're borrowing from someone else mm-hmm. or you're stealing from someone else and you get to a point where you, you take enough from different places because I, there are some people that I know that Guy Ritchie was influenced by. Uh, and and you can see that, and yeah. I think that's pretty interesting. Or vice versa. I'm not exactly sure. But it, but you know, without further ado, we did. We said Guy Ritchie films. Guy Ritchie uh, films. We decided to do five of them. Five of them. Uh, trying. Yep. Trying to span his career. Span his career uh, as it is right now. This is great. I'm gonna put an echo on everything that you say. There is gonna be great. Got to make sure uh, that people hear us. But yeah. Of course. But we're gonna span the career of Guy Ritchie films from. 2000 to 2019, yep. I believe was the last one. We chose five movies. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had waited uh, like a month or so since like going out and, and decided to do this, we could have done his latest film as well. Apparently he has a, he had another film that just came out. Yeah, I think I saw that one. It's like Wrath of Man um, or something. I'm, okay, interesting. Me, I mean, this definitely... I definitely at one point wanted to watch more of his movies and decided against it just because I didn't want too much to influence this discussion. Yeah. Uh, although I don't know how more research would have influenced it negatively. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I don't know. I, I, mean, don't, I don't know. Maybe not negatively, but maybe like... Because even now, like five movies is borderline too much to discuss just from fear of bleeding scenes and like characters and dialogue from like one movie to the other so adding more on i don't know it could have been too much because like when we were watching yeah. one of the movies which was the first movie in a a, a, a duology a two movies um series that guy Ritchie also directed we watched the first movie of um mm-hmm. there was times in the movie where like okay this scene's gonna come up and then it didn't come up because i'm remembering it from the second movie yes so i did the same thing yeah. So, 
what are the four movies, five movies that we decided to watch? So the five movies uh, in order of release uh, is Snatch, Revolver, um, Sherlock Holmes 1, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, and The Gentleman. Awesome. Now you said in order of release, did you watch them differently? No, I watched them the same way. Because I think we had discussed that, like watching them... Mm-hmm. Uh, to really get a, a good view of his filmography uh, career and his his career as a director and writer. Yeah, yeah I would have to it. say that's. I think that was the best way to go about it, at least for a discussion standpoint. And it's exactly what I did too. So the first movie, Snatch, released two thousand. Mm-hmm. Guy Ritchie was the writer and director. Yes. Uh, this was not his first movie. No, not his first. Uh, this one had a, a really big like cast, I'd say. Um, yes. It had uh, Brad Pitt. Yeah, Jason Statham. Um, you had Benicio Del Toro. Uh, oh, that, he's so good. For, what's the dude? Who's the, the dude from New York that kept coming over to England? What's, who's, who's, what actor uh, is that? I'm looking him up right now. I don't remember what his name was I, either. <laughs> yeah. I, crap. I mean, I could just run down. Is it... Uh, Dennis Farina, the cousin Abby? Maybe. Is he the one that came over? Maybe. Let me take a look at it. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Super, like, I, I recognize him from a bunch of things, but I couldn't remember his name. Um, yeah, I honestly, I wouldn't have been able to know his name either. But yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. Actually, he plays uh, himself in Family Guy, apparently. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, he's he's been in a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, interesting. Yeah. Great, 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 great cast. Um, this is, I think this may have been Guy Ritchie's second movie. The first one being Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which truthfully when we started writing deciding what movies to go with i went back and forth with these two movies between snatch and Lockstock. i think this one is more relatable from an american standpoint Lockstock was very british mm-hmm. very british and it had a lot of the same cast but this one had brad pitt i mean yeah brad pitt so. yeah <clears throat> right in the Which um, you can't barely understand anything he says throughout it <laughs> yeah they so Brad Pitt is one of those actors where I'll watch just about anything he's in um, mm-hmm. just because I, I really, really, really dig his work. Uh, and he's very diverse, too. Um, but uh, he is. Not, not to, like, overshadow the other people. Like In fact, as much as I like Brad Pitt, he wasn't even my favorite character or part of the movie. Um, I really liked anything to do with um, Tyrone, Finney, and Soul. Uh, the three yes. guys who had to like stand up the, which I guess spoiler alert for all of these movies. Um, yeah, I, I wrote that on my notes too. Yeah, guys, if you haven't watched these movies yet, um, I would say if you don't plan to, cool, keep going. If you do want to watch them and not be spoiled, go watch them and then come back and listen, or watch them, watch Snatch and then come back and listen to Snatch. Mm-hmm. But really, you should probably watch all five of them because I have a feeling we're gonna bleed through all of these. Yeah, so I really enjoyed um, just about any part with uh, uh, Vinny, Soul, and Tyrone. I thought they were all great. Um, uh, the dog, so good. I love the dog. Such a cute dog. Um, yeah. Anything with, um, uh, what is his name, Bullet Teeth Tom or something? 
yes. I thought he was great too. Uh, that pretty much that whole like kind of side story with with chasing the diamond I thought was really really cool. Um, yeah. And like I remember, so I watched Snatch years ago when I was in high school, and I okay. only remembered like uh, Brad Pitt was like a bare knuckle boxer. That was the only thing I remember remembered from it. So there was a lot I that think I. That's all I've remembered too. Yeah, there's a lot more to the the story in the movie that on a second viewing and as an older and more mature viewing you're like oh like that was definitely just um almost like a plot device uh his his character his role uh that acted as a not even a full catalyst a semi-catalyst for some of the story the diamond was the real catalyst i think for all of it with just everybody's stories intertwining and and interlinking um very very good very very good movie well that's and I wrote that down here. So, one, it's gritty. It's a very gritty movie. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny. And I, and that's kind of what blew me away. Because I didn't remember that at all from probably watching it in 2000, 2001. It, it didn't, I didn't recall it being funny. I recalled it kind of being um, just more of a gritty sort of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's hilarious. Um, I definitely loved the multiple stories. You said how there's the catalyst and the linking between them, the the multiple stories happening at once, the connections they end up uh, with by happenstance. Like there's the scene where you have the accident and they show it from all three angles. Mm -hmm. And I like stuff like that in movies, sort of showing multiple um, paths to the same place. I like linear movies as well. But, yeah, that just kind of kept me on edge. Um, Yeah. Did you feel, and we're just going to jump right into this because I think that this really does show it. Do you feel that Guy Ritchie was influenced by Tarantino? Oh, man. Because I felt like a lot of this probably was very Tarantino-esque. Probably. It felt like um, a more... It felt like a more accessible Tarantino, I guess, now that you mention it. When did Tarantino... I'm thinking like, older. 90s. Okay, so yeah, the timeline matches up. Like, when I think of Tarantino movies, it's not that they're not accessible. It's like, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. So Tarantino movies are very... They're the type of movies that you would need to pay attention to the details to. And Guy Ritchie's to the same degree, but they're just... I don't know. I find it easier to connect with Guy Ritchie movies than necessarily Tarantino movies. Okay. Uh, not that Tarantino See, movies are bad, back. or I think they're bad. Like, yeah. not, like, not that at all. I think they're great. But it's like... Maybe we'll have to do one of these with Tarantino. Yeah, and while we're at it, like, we're going to have to do, like, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> we're going to have to do Spielberg. <laughs> like, all these... I kind of... as I, I'm curious at the end of this, when we kind of do a, a conclusion and wrap it up, what your thought process was on the, the actual... Um, I could say bit, but it's not really a bit, but the challenge or the task or whatever it is that we're doing. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be interesting to talk about that, but... Uh, what about the camera work? That see, that's kind of what I thought was very tan- Tarantino esque. Is it was fast. It was a lot mm-hmm. of jump cuts. It was a lot of fast movement, but it never felt out of control. Like yep. I never felt like, wait a minute, slow down. I, I don't know what's going on. It felt like it created the intensity of the moments. Um, yeah, especially uh, at the like end a, with at the end fight um, it was very fast. With but you never with, felt lost in the the story. So yeah, yeah, there there was a cut in that in that last fight where they show the um, the pistol and they show the lettering come across it, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Huh, that was just a really cool effect." That it, it could have been without; it wouldn't have mattered if that wasn't in there. 
But that really just sort of, in that moment of a lot of fast action and a lot of cuts, that moment sort of slowed something down in my mind to then go back up again without actually slowing down the momentum as we see in later movies that he did. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was really neat. He's got a good eye for that, and I don't know if that was him or the cinematographer. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would, yeah, no, I I think the camera work is really well done. I think out, like, out of all the movies... I think either Snatch or uh, a later movie, King Arthur, had the best camera work, mm. um, best like visuals. Um, Interesting. Okay. But um, you know, I really liked Snatch. I really, really liked it. I thought it was a very well-rounded movie, um, especially for being mm. such a a early film in his career to have done. It was really well-rounded. Yeah, I, I did too. Um, so I have. Sorry, do we need a, do we need here. a new topic? Is this boring you? <laughs> Just shut up. <laughs> the audience can't see me, yawn. Um, I yawn. They a can lot hear you though. Sit down. They can. I I yawn a lot when I sit down. I used to do training for a previous company, and I'd be fine. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I sat down and started doing these training calls, I just couldn't stop yawning. I don't know what it is about sitting down in me, but anyway, um, I have two things here. Uh, left on this specific movie one i felt the hits i thought that was something that and and again i don't know if this is the audio engineer doing it the cinematographer the you know the connection with guy Ritchie and them or if this was a very much him being the director and sort of coming back through and saying no we need this more um when i say i feel the hits there was something in the sound quality of each of the hits and the camera angles and the cutscenes and sort of how it's all put together. Because you can show a fight scene. I've seen plenty of fight scenes in movies where it's like, oh, that was really cool. And actually, even with Jason Statham, if you think about, um, oh, what was that one? The Transporter. In the first one, I felt the hits. In the second one, I didn't as much. It was more about all the stylized action. Whereas this one, Guy Ritchie just has such a really cool way of, again, just taking this bigger, fast-paced moment and bringing you into the smaller details, like how did the impact of that punch or what was the impact of that particular shot from that gun different than just the overall Mm -hmm. firing off multiple rounds, multiple punches. Um, And I thought that was really neat. Yeah. The sound design was was very good as well. Like, it's, it's one of those things where... I'm not. I'm gonna have trouble remembering everything I liked about it until it comes up and like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that was really really cool. Like yes. Snatch is like definitely one of those movies where it's like, it's so well rounded. Like, I liked everything about it. I can't think of one thing that I didn't like. Well, I, I can think of one thing I didn't like, but it's not necessarily any, anything that Guy Ritchie did wrong or any of his staff or his production did wrong. It was more just the okay. some of the the more uh, <laughs> offensive humor like looking at it from today's viewpoint is like you have to like really remind yourself this is from a different time it's it's telling a story and it's not the character it's it's not the actor or the director or anybody else yeah putting anybody down it's It's just the the it's the setting is what it is yeah it's the character and you also got to think it's not just a different time it's also a different country guy Ritchie comes out of um england Mm -hmm. uh potentially london proper but yeah so them coming so, from, yeah. Com- yeah, coming from a completely different country, you know, things are just different. 
Um, I thought that too. I mean, even now looking back, like Brad Pitt plays a gypsy. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, even calling them gypsies to some places is offensive. Yeah. Um, which in my trip to Paris, that was one of the things as we, because we did a guided tour around Paris. They told us when we got off the bus by the Eiffel Tower, that lady said, you have to be careful with the gypsies. They will rob you. It's like, what? She goes, you'll see them. And what one ended up coming up with a, um, a clipboard asking for signatures. Apparently, that's what they do. That One person comes up and asks for signatures, and while you're signing, the other one comes up and robs you. Like, oh, cool. Meanwhile, inside the Eiffel Tower compound, there is you know four or five French uh, military men fully armed walking around. Like, ten, ten feet away, there's some gypsies robbing you. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, but yeah... You know, things like that or whether or not that's cultural appropriation for Brad Pitt to even play that part now. Uh, but again, this was 21 years ago. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem that long, but that's a long time. A lot can change and become clearer in society in that time. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, without dwelling too much on that, because uh, you see that kind of thread throughout most of his movies. Yeah, um, yeah which is interesting. Which is, it's, it's a very so I, real, because you get that shit so much in the real life. Um, which doesn't necessarily excuse it, but it, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's real gritty, like you said, uh, way yes. to tell a story. Now, I have one note in here, and I'm, I want you to help me out, because I watched these movies a couple of weeks ago. We've had some time to watch them, mm-hmm. and I sort of got my schedule out of whack, and I thought that we were going to record this earlier than we did. And then also, I just happened to have time at that certain part to watch five movies. So it's been a couple of weeks since I watched these, so I do have notes, thankfully. Hmm. But some of my notes are not as clear as I wanted them to be. I have this note. It says, the squeaky dog bit cracked me up. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what, what did I see? Make me laugh again. So, um, the I believe it's the second scene that you have with um, Tyrone... Or the first scene with Tyrone, the second scene with Vinny and Soul. They're in a car, uh, about to go to the bookies where they're gonna they're gonna rob the bookies. They're paid to rob, to rob the bookies by mm-hmm. uh, was it a bullet dodger somebody? Something like that, yeah. Um, Bur- or Boris the bullet tooth. Boris or... the blade is like, but he's also called bullet dodger. Um, they're they're paid by bullet dodger to go rob the bookie. So it's the second scene with um, these characters uh, and. Uh, Vinny got a dog from, I believe, the gypsies, the gypsy camp. Yes. Um, I don't know if he bought it or the dog started following him or whatever the story was. I missed that. Um, but they gave him a squeaky toy because the dog was being a real bastard and, like, biting on the chair. Right. And, like, the, the Tyrone didn't want the dog to, like, mess up his, his, his car yeah. or whatever. So they gave him a squeaky toy, and the dog just, just ate it whole. Uh, and so it was <laughs> squeaky from, from then on out. Uh, okay. Which, again, this is another thing is, like, it's you get this all the time in all Guy Ritchie's movies like callback after callback after callback because yep. the fact that the dog you know had the squeaky toy comes back later multiple times the fact that it uh, has been established that the characteristic of the dog is that it eats everything and is a menace mm-hmm. comes back later when it eats the diamond uh, the, the diamond yeah the fact that it you know uh, belongs to the gypsies and like there was a throwaway line where like it kept running back to the gypsy camp like it, it runs mm-hmm. back to the gypsy camp and Yep. Through happenstance comes in the possession of um, Jason Statham's character. So, like, that's where the, the that's what your note was. But that's it's a good bit okay. uh, that really establishes a lot about just the dog, which is a super minor character. 
not to mention everything with Tyrone and Vinny and Saul. Uh, so it's very But it's good. that thread. Mm-hmm. It's just another way in this movie. There's so many of them where it sort of just uh, connects everybody together by this weird coincidence. Yep. Um, and yeah, just great, great writing by Guy Ritchie. So I really like the movie as well. Um, I definitely think this is something that in a couple of years I could watch again and, and enjoy it again. Um, so super glad we watched that one. Yeah. Anything else to say about Snatch? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much... I mean, I think I I can sum it up really succinctly with just saying it's a well-rounded movie that I liked like 99.999% of it. Yeah, I would have to agree. So let's go on to the next movie. Are we going to rate um, it? Oh, we could rate it. I haven't thought about we my rating. <laughs> I haven't either. I did rank them at the bottom of my notes. I did a ranking of which one of these five I like the oh, best. Oh, let's just do that because I did the same. Okay. Let's just do that. Okay. I had a feeling you would. That's why I was like, maybe I should do this. And then I thought, maybe I should probably tell you. But no, I, I've known you long enough now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. So All the next right. one, next Revolver. Movie. Oh boy. 2005 again. Writer, and then sort of director, sort of writer. He was the director of this one. He wrote it, and then it was adapted by Luc Besson. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means that it was adapted by, but uh, hold on, let me see. I'm on, uh, are you on IMDb right now? I am on the Internet Movie Database. I am also going to be there. The app. So where did, what you say? Oh, Luke Besson uh, adaptation. I'm yes. guessing uh, either Guy Ritchie was the original writer and then Luke Besson adapted it. Or yeah, I got that. it was an original story that Luke Besson adapted that Guy Ritchie probably helped with as a, just as a writer credit, if I had to guess. Interesting. Okay, maybe. But I have no idea. Um, I will have to say that just kind of flipping through the parents' guide, sex and nudity, violence and gore and profanity, all severe <laughs> in this movie. Um, I guess there was there was a lot more titties in this one. Yeah, yeah, there was. <laughs> um, so Jason Statham again in this movie, back to back Statham. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you like him as an actor? Are you a fan of Mr. Statham? I think in in movies like, you know, uh, Snatch and, and Revolver with Guy Ritchie, with, with a director that can utilize uh, a unique story, like that can utilize filmmaking to tell a unique story, I like Jason Statham more in those kinds of projects rather than just the action gore or not action, the action porn, like films like Fast and Furious and Transporter. Yeah, I didn't like him in that. Um, I love Transporter 1. I didn't like 2 and 3. I Transporter think I've only ever seen 3. Story too. I, oh, I've yeah, then you, no. 1 is fantastic. I actually shut 3 off. Uh, I never finished it. Mm-hmm. The second one, I cringed through most of it. But 1 is a great, great movie. And it's mm-hmm. more along the lines of these movies where, yeah, it's it's less of him doing all the cool action stuff and more like he is such a good dialogue artist. Yeah. 
um, he really does deliver dialogue well. And I think when they got when he started doing all the action stuff, they lost that. Yeah, I mean, he's good at that too, obviously. And he's I think he's older than I am, and he keeps himself in damn good shape. So yeah. you can do it, do it. <laughs> like he kind of reminds um, me of Vin Diesel, honestly. Vin Diesel, if and like to a lesser degree, like actors like Batista, John Cena, and like The Rock, like yeah. Who sometimes are typecast into these action roles when in reality they're a lot more talented than that. And if the director and the yeah, writer and true. the producer can give them the opportunity to show that, like Jason Statham, like they they can really knock it out of the park. And I and I think it went the other way with Statham. He started out doing these kind of roles and then moved into that. But something I think is funny, and I I do have this in a note somewhere else because you'll see this as a recurring theme. Um, man, it pays to network in these movies, doesn't it? Because you see, I think every one of these movies, there is a connecting person besides Guy Ritchie. I was going to say that, dude. So I was going to wait till yeah. the end, but we can just run through it real quick because I thought it was very interesting. Well, no, let's wait till the end so we can go back through it. Okay. Right, um, fair enough. But yeah, but Jason Statham coming in both of these. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Liotta. Oh, man, Ray Liotta. It was Andre 3000. I love him. I forgot that was yeah. Andre. I, I was like, I recognize yeah. this dude's Outcast. voice. I recognize him. I was like, who is this guy? I just never looked it up. And I was like, oh, it's Andre 3000. I just saw it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Ray um, Liotta. Ray uh, Liotta. Man, he's so good. I was wondering who that was, too, because I recognized him as well. Um, so I just watched Goodfellas recently again, mm-hmm. um, just because I, I, I love that movie. It's a fantastic movie. And Ray Liotta is so good. Actually, my note is he is one of my favorite actors in these types of movies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely plays that part right. Just that slimy um, mob boss type. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Even, like, uh, Vincent Pastore and Terrence Maynard as, like, the other, like, kind of um, sidekick characters, they did really, really well as well. Uh, Vincent yeah, Pastor, and it's he was the same with them too. Yeah, where they uh, they're always in those sort of uh, character typecasted roles. Sorry, um, um, twenty five thirty six. You may need to just cut my mic out. I had to cough again. Oh, you're fine. So, who was the who was the narrator? That was Jason Statham, right? Yes. Okay, so I thought. <sighs> What I thought was interesting about this movie was, right off the bat, the cinematography felt different. Mm-hmm. Like, the directing felt the same, but the cinematography definitely had a different vibe altogether with it. Yeah, it felt more artsy to me. Yes, which makes me wonder, and I didn't look this up, I guess I could now, but I didn't look up who the cinematographer was with, um, or the, like the director of cinematography was on this movie versus Snatch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'd be interesting to kind of dive deeper into if, if I was more of a film nerd, I guess. Uh, I'm just not. Yeah. So, but yeah, I definitely felt a difference there, but still uniquely Guy Ritchie. Yes. A lot of the uh, like quick cuts, I think, a lot of the, like the narration, mm-hmm. the quick cuts, and the punchy action was it's like I guess if I had to style it boil it down like those are very Guy Ritchie things, um, yes, done in his unique way, uh, which branches back to what we talked about last podcast. <clears throat> Just saying, uh, but yeah, no, it, which is what we do. Yeah, you know, hey, remember when we made a good point the other time? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I think, I think you're right. I think this was definitely a another like quintessential Guy Ritchie movie, but it felt different enough from Snatch and his other work to like still remain unique. 
which yes. I think is a way that which I, th- I really like the, the way that he does that. It's like it's something that Tarantino uh, and Nolan, who are like other really great act- directors, obviously, I don't think they are able to do it as well as Guy Ritchie is, where a lot of their movies have a very distinct style that are very, very similar to each other When I'm think- as I'm thinking about it. But with Guy Ritchie, like, it's a distinct style, but it's also different and unique from his other movies. Yes. So. And I think one of the things that was very Guy Ritchie-esque is it has a huge intensity to each of the cuts. Mm-hmm. Like That is something. So it makes me wonder when he's directing, because I would imagine directing is a lot like just being a leader. I mean, you're the kind of the boss on the, the, the uh, set. I wonder if he gives a lot of autonomy to the staff. So for me, like when I'm at work, I try to give people the opportunity to be themselves, uniquely themselves, but still keep my mission in mind or the company's mission in mind. So I wonder if he says to them like, hey, this is kind of what I want to see here. These are sort of the things that I want to pull from it. Do that. Like, how are you going to get to there and allow the cinematographer, the director of cinema photography kind of work through that within the confines of that box. Yeah. And then he can pull what he wants, which which to me I think would probably make him really great to work with. Yeah. So I'd I'd be curious more. I may have to dig a little deeper into seeing some interviews or something from Guy Ritchie. That would have been great for these. <laughs> but, you know, hindsight, right? <laughs> but I I would be curious to go back and kind of watch some interviews with Guy Ritchie specifically or some other actors um, talking about him and what that is, what that relationship is. Yeah. Um, I thought the narration added a uh, a lot of perspective to this movie. Mm-hmm. Well needed perspective. Yes. Without without the narration, this movie would have been really bad, in my opinion. Yes, I would have to agree. Um, Andre three thousand, right off the bat, it seemed like an odd pick in the beginning of the movie. It, it worked out well towards the end. Like Once I got comfortable with him being in there, mm-hmm. it just felt really strange when he was first introduced. Yeah, I don't think with as much gravity or, or with as much uh, importance as him and uh, Vincent or Zach's character. Um, or no, Zach was the character. Vincent was the actor. With as much importance as um, Avi and Zach's characters were, at the end of the movie, I don't feel like their introduction mm-hmm. had as much gravitas, which I guess ties into the fact that who they were actually become a twist. Yes. Um, which yeah. I called that twist halfway through the movie anyways. I was like, oh, these yeah, guys are I obviously kinda, those people. Um, yeah, so. I kind of picked up on that too. I didn't really, I wasn't like, okay, I, it's guaranteeing it's them. But, well, so here's what I'm thinking. At first, when I when they were first introduced, with like you know him handing the card, uh, the two cards that were like telling what to do, it seemed very supernatural almost. Where I was like, oh, are, is this like yes. is this guy Ritchie's like first supernatural esque thing in his thing? But then I quickly realized, no, that's not the case. They're just really smart planners. And then through the narration, talking about the uh, the chess master and the con master and prison next to Jason Statham's character, I was like. Oh well, yeah. Yes, like, <laughs> that's obviously them. Um, so yeah, yeah. I found it rather interesting as well, and I even like the idea that they sort of played themselves down mm-hmm. to not show their hand right away with him either. Um, there was a lot of weird animation sequences. 
Oh, yeah. That's the other thing I was kind of like, huh? Um, I don't know what the point of that was at all because it, like, had no nothing to build towards and it didn't lead to anything yeah. later. It just, I really feel like it was like a Guy Ritchie maybe took some drugs or something. And one day and was like, I want animation for this scene. But it was weird. Well, it wasn't even a fight scene. It, it was just like a, I don't know, it was weird. Well, there was. I mean, there was the animation of the guy who shot them, shot him in the head. So like the, pulled the pistols out and shot him. That's not a fight guys scene. Through the face. Actually, okay. violence does not equal fight scene. Okay, fine. <laughs> but anyway, that was animation, and people died, and there was blood. It's not a fight uh, scene, though. I don't know. If you, pull, if you pull a gun out on me, we have a fight scene happening. Yeah, but if I pull a gun and shoot you immediately, it's not a fight. <laughs> fine, fine. Okay. Well, that's a fight for one of them. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I thought that was kind of weird. Um, yeah. It's, yeah I, it took me I, out of the movie for sure, but I, I can't even say that it was a a bad thing because it was just it was just weird it was kind of out of nowhere it almost and weird. made me wonder did it happen because when you get to the end see and this is okay that's true I, the, so I, I he, god I, I wrote this he just got hit by a car I'm so confused I keep thinking the two guys from prison are the guys he's working with so like I and then I have is this all in his head that's so, what I thought it was going to do at first. I was like, don't tell me this is some fucking hallucination. He's still in prison. I was going to be pissed if that was the case. But it did, thankfully. I am still confused by this fucking movie. So from, I had to go and look at another website to read about it. From what I understand is... And maybe they, they kind of lampshade it or talk about it a little bit in the movie. I don't remember. But from what I understand, okay... Welcome to Above the Board, where we <laughs> try to decipher mm-hmm. movies from 2000s. Um, from what I understand, uh, gambler Jake Green uh, got in too deep. His ego got uh, um, the better of him. And one thing led to another, he got sent to prison. And he chose solitary for whatever reason. Okay. In prison, he met a, master chess, a chess master and a master condon, who, while they never communicated directly... Um, they were communicating with each other to break out of prison, and he kind of was in on it, but not necessarily like in on it to the degree that they were. So they were kind of using him a little bit as a pawn. So then, eventually, when he break when he gets out, uh, he's like a lot better at the gambling thing, but his ego is still an issue because like he knows he's really good. Uh, one thing leads to another. He gets brought back in uh, and is pretty much conned by the two criminals that escaped from prison uh, who are still playing the con on him. And the con itself is to be able for him to like beat his own ego and not be beholden to it or something. <laughs> That's the best I got. So, All I know is that Mark Strong yes. played a stuttering assassin with great accuracy. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> yes. Apparently, according to the site that I went to, which is thisisbarry.com, uh, he has a full synopsis because 
it's a little bit more it was a little bit more cerebral than that so at the end of it you realize that a lot of this is an inner conflict with himself right and that's why i don't know that any of it actually happened i think that the entire movie was based around his own ego and fighting like his inner demons um even to the point and this this guy barry he talks about um like the shooter how the reason he's basically just fighting his own ego he's got he's so good at what he does but he doesn't feel right killing him so he misses and how he's trying to wrap his head around just that own ego it i i finished this movie and i literally literally just looked at the screen and said what the fuck just happened much i am the same so much the same for me yeah i so confused the whole way through it um However, there were some good scenes. Yes. Very good scenes. Yes. Uh, the, um, the restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. That might have been my favorite scene in the entire movie. Uh, yeah. That was intense. Very. Very intense. Yeah, when when uh, Ray Liotta's character is being held down watching him getting ready to be shot like and not being able to do anything that was fantastic that girl was like fuck you i don't care if i'm shot i'm still getting you yeah that scene was good the scene at the apartment at the end with um mark strong what's his name uh sorter the shooter Uh, yeah his name is sorter the sorter yes uh the scene where you know he is just john wicking all of these fuckers that was great (laughs) um The uh, scene in the elevator uh, at the very end with um, with Jake Green, just mm-hmm. just going mental. Um, that was a really yes. good scene. Uh, the cuts on that were good. Yes, which I always like that kind of stuttering effect to sort of play into confusion and whatnot. Hold on, did we ever see? Did we ever see Mister um, D? And Sorter together on screen with another character? I don't know. Because I'm trying to think, like... Or no, really? I mean, just thinking about Mr. D and Jake Green, like, they both had moments where their, like, inner conscious or their inner self was talking to them, right? And, and manipulating yes. them. And they're the only two that had that. So, like, I'm just trying to think maybe they were the same people. Maybe it is like a fight club situation where, That's like... That's what I think. Maybe? But I don't think it's like a fight club where he's living two lives. I think the entire movie was an inner struggle and sort of an action-packed inner struggle within him. Maybe he never did leave prison. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe uh-huh. he's still in solitary confinement and there wasn't people on either side of him. There wasn't that he's just... Huh fucking mental well if that is the case and it does come out that and we find out that that's what it is that what that movie's going to be really bad then <laughs> like i'm gonna not like i don't know i mean it wouldn't change the movie i'd uh, i would like I, to listen to more about him but I yeah i i will say the soundtrack stood out really i really enjoyed the soundtrack in the show i can't I remember I, I haven't gone back it. to listen to it i can't remember as far as like i can't go back like oh yeah i remember that song it's not like that it's just while it was happening I was really enjoying it. And if this is another thing that I felt like was sort of borrowed or 
whatever from Tarantino where Tarantino soundtracks I can't remember all the songs that are in his movies mm -hmm. but I know that they're unique enough or different enough or eclectic enough but they just seem to fit that scene so well and I felt like in this movie it was like that as well it really made a difference in me enjoying the movie interesting as much as I was confused um, yeah as much as I was confused and like he did a lot of uh, that one there was that one scene where they were going through it was the hotel um, but they were cutting from room to room and it looked like it was almost done in a dollhouse-esque studio where they were just panning the camera from room to room and the whole like hotel was cut out uh -huh. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I really did enjoy the movie as far as an entertainment piece. But I still was really... I'm still confused as to what the hell this movie was all about. Right. I think, um, similar for me, I think I'm probably... I'm better off for probably watching it just to... Again, broaden your horizon, see things that you might mm -hmm. not necessarily normally watch or or consume, uh, but from like an entertainment, like I was like, what the fuck is like? It's not yeah. definitely not his strongest, I will say. No, but it is in comparison and what we're doing with what we're doing here with comparing and contrasting a span of his career by taking specific movies. I think this was a really good pick to pull out and kind of sure. feel like oh. There is his style, yet you can see he was trying to do something a little bit different. But you know what? Maybe this is Luc Besson's adaptation bullshit. Maybe he shouldn't have Luc Besson help him with adaptation. Why are you saying it like that? Anymore. Why are you saying it like that? I'm sorry? Why are you saying it like I that? Don't know. I because his or name is L-U-C. That's Luc Besson. Okay. Or, hear me out, maybe Guy Ritchie just misstepped and maybe... Luc Besson was trying to correct. Hello, Jeremy. I'm I'm here. Oh. I'm listening to you. I'm reading about Luc Besson. You were like frozen uh, on my he, screen. He was from Paris. Okay, <laughs> so. well, that doesn't mean you can just start throwing your French accent around. It is because that's how his name is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> you big twit. It's ridiculous. Anyways, anyway, the next movie. Let's be done with this movie. Get, the, get this fucking movie out my face. Sherlock Holmes, okay? <laughs> All right. Sherlock 2009. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing about this movie. Mm -hmm. He did not write it. This was a movie he just directed. I could tell. <laughs> I could absolutely tell. <laughs> yeah. It was Guy Ritchie, yeah, okay. but the major blockbuster version. Okay. That's... Yeah, I was like, you could tell why. why. But okay, yeah, that, that yeah, it, it pans out. I'm also curious. Um, so this came out in 2009. So it would have been in production for, what, probably a year to two years before that. I wonder probably, yeah. how much, like, I wonder what would have happened to this if it had come out after or even if it had been production after the uh, an initial airing of the Sherlock Holmes on BBC. Because that aired in 2010, starting in 2010. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't... It doesn't have anything really to do with know. Guy Ritchie, I don't think. But I was just, just curious. Yeah. But yeah, oh my god, there's like um, four, six writers for this movie, Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. Jesus. Well, I mean, 
Let me. I didn't pull this one up yet. Um, yeah, you've got Michael Robert Johnson, Anthony Peckham, Simon Kinberg, Lionel Wigram, and Michael Robert Johnson. Uh, yeah, I can tell it was just made by a bunch of four dudes. <laughs> I will say, uh, it was Rachel McAdams. Uh, Rachel McAdams played Irene Adler. There were some scenes where it yeah. felt like her writing was just to be uh, a plot device for Sherlock. Uh, and there's other moments where she felt like an actual character with her own motivations and everything. I much preferred the latter okay. to the former. Yes. Yes. Have you have you li- read or listened to any of the Sherlock Holmes books by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? No. I really have no interest. So I Um okay, so I did it was I, I just it was a six-part series um read by um Oh, it doesn't even matter. It's it's a great... I, I know the name. As soon as I hear the name, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, a British actor. But it's a six-part series on Audible, mm-hmm. and it goes through the entire Sherlock Holmes uh, anthology. Now, I've listened to part one and two, um, so it's a couple of novels and a couple of the short stories. Um, and right away, these writers definitely have spent some time with that series uh, just to be able to, to come to this. Mm-hmm. And... I found that to be really interesting. And I haven't finished it. And these are, and I'll tell you, I wished I was a reader when I was younger. I wish that my parents would have pushed me if they would have handed me the uh, Sherlock Holmes books when I was younger. I think I would have fallen in love. They are so good. It's so intriguing. Sherlock Holmes's character and Watson's character are so well put together. Um, and I think this movie does a really good job of holding those two characters as what they were in the book series, but also distinguishing itself as this is not the same thing. It's not fan fiction, but it's definitely it's definitely different. It kind of feels like what Rogue One is to the Star Wars series. Yeah, it's, it's an adaptation good for what it is. It's an adaptation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law are fucking amazing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Even, like, Mark Strong and, um... Uh, fuck. Who played the... It wasn't Lestrade. It was the the other, like, constable. The one that helped Sherlock. Oh, uh, William Houston. Uh, yeah, both, like, even them. Like, they... Like, all the actors, I think, did a really good job. Which seems to be a um, similar thing. Uh, it seems like Guy Ritchie, really good with giving actors directions, probably. Yeah. Or he just chooses yeah, really again, good I, actors. I don't know. That, that could be too, but it, again, it, it takes me back to that question of, like we talked about with the cinematography, does he give, like, this is the, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is sort of what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. You bring yourself into the character and show me what you got, and we'll go from there. Like, how much direction is he giving, and how much sort of just creating the parameters that he wants, and allowing them to sort of create freely within that? Because I think that would make the the better of the two. If if you have a director who's just saying, "Hey, this is what I want from you. I need this and this only," and very linear it's going to reduce the creativity that an actor can put into the scene 
Whereas if I say, I kind of want this feeling, I kind of want this vibe, give me what you have and then do a couple of takes and be like, oh, perfect. And sort of, I don't know, I think it's more um, uh, a partnership in the creative process versus I'm telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, a, which, I'm not a film kinda, director, so I can't speak to that. It makes sense. Well, I think like you think with Johnny Depp and um, Tim Burton, that relationship that those two have, and I've read articles with Johnny Depp where he talks about sort of, I like to go into the movie, go really way over the top and be this character, and the producers are going to be like, yeah, we can't have you do that. He said, then I know that I've pushed too far, then I can back down just a little bit because in his mind, he's an actor. He wants to create as freely as possible. Tim Burton allows that freedom and creativity from him and not only allows it, expects it from him. Like, and if you think about your time at work, the best bosses are the ones that, in my opinion, the best bosses are the ones that sort of allow you to be uniquely and creatively yourself Mm -hmm. while still accomplishing the mission your way versus the bosses that are like, you need to do everything exactly like I tell you to do it. Because then there's no fulfillment. There's no joy in what you're doing then. Yeah. And in a creative work, I would imagine joy and fulfillment needs to be present. Otherwise, you're not going to have a long career. Yeah, that's fair. So this movie, um, um, I think I said earlier, Guy Ritchie, just blockbuster version. Uh, you could obviously mm-hmm. tell there was some, that that staple Guy Ritchie uh, style and uniqueness. Uh, especially with like um, the, the usage of slow-mo. Which apparently, this is kind of a cool side note. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of them, the Slow Mo guys on YouTube. With that, um, yes, Gavin Free and Dan Gretchy, I think his name is. Um, I don't know who they are. I've watched some clips. Gavin Free actually worked on this movie. I think he worked on this one and the second oh. one, or he only worked on the second one. I can't remember, uh, but I'm pretty sure he worked on um, one or both of the Sherlock Holmes movies uh, as the slow mo because um, they were using a, a phantom camera, which is like super unique, and mm-hmm. at the time. Like, very, very few people in the world, like, had as much experience with it as he and his, um, the person who ever, who ever taught him, uh, uh, had. So he was able to work on this movie, he was able to work on, I think he worked on Judge Dredd as well, the Carl Urban movie from, when was that, 2012? What's a phantom camera? I'm not sure what that is. It's like a slow-mo camera. It's just, it's, oh, I don't okay. know the exact technical terms, but it pretty much, it's a huge fucking camera that uh is able to uh slow things down a lot like okay thousands and thousands and thousands of frames yeah Yeah. um but uh gumfrey is also he's part of rooster teeth uh which is one of the one of my favorite online content creators so um interesting yeah it's it's got that very unique guy ritchie-esque style but just put onto a blockbuster movie and you can tell where there was like I, I, you can tell where the moments were where Guy Ritchie was more, most likely constrained by the fact that this was going to be a big blockbuster film or whatever. Um, yeah. So I felt like you saw his fingerprint. It was, and I think you see his fingerprint a lot on the fight scenes, not just the slow-mo, but like how Sherlock thinks through what he's going to do. They narrate that mm-hmm. out. It sort of shows it, and then all of a sudden it's slow-mo into each of those cutscenes. Uh, and I thought that that definitely felt like Guy Ritchie's fingerprint. 100%. Um, and I, and I, I think that adds to it. And I know that we see in the second movie where they up the ante more, and they started doing like the, um, the X-rays. 
in each thing. I thought that was kind of cool that they added to it. But yeah. I thought that was in this movie too, but I, but it wasn't. No. The only thing, yeah. so I remember very like bits and pieces about the second movie. I remember they're running through a forest at one point, and there's a bunch of explosions. I remember him and uh, Moriarty are fighting on top of like a waterfall or something in like Sweden. Yep. And they fall. And, like, they fall down. But, like, I remember they both were, like, doing the whole narration, like, slow-mo thing, which is kind of cool. Yes. Um, Fighting each other. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That's pretty much all I remember from that movie. So, it is interesting that, like, with Moriarty, whatever, however you say his name. You got it. He's actually not as big of a character in the series as what, like, how that became the, the... pinnacle sherlock holmes antagonist is beyond me i haven't finished it but as of right now in two books into the series of six i haven't even seen him yet yeah so that was a later character um watson's girlfriend introduced completely different in the books um but i did like the way the progression was in this movie i thought that was a fun little side uh side ordeal that kind of showed uh sherlock holmes's almost inability to be social Mm -hmm. because that is prevalent in the books where in this one it's not as much he tends to come off sort of uh, the scene in the restaurant where he first meets watson's girlfriend that is how sherlock is portrayed in the books with most people he is very on edge and kind of like i think mark zuckerberg like i think that sort of social ineptitude um I had, to, I had to throw this in here. Uh, one of the fight scenes. Apparently, Sherlock likes all that slapping as well. What was that called? Oh, my God. You're such an ass. It's <laughs> In wrestling, it's chopping. Those are actual slaps. There's a difference between wrest, wrestling chops and slaps. Chops are when you knife hand chop against someone's chest or back. A slap yeah, is when you there was you a lot of slapping in that wrestling, slap. too. This was he was chopping and slapping a lot. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know if you can hear my my mic might be able to hear it up. I'm hungry, dude. My stomach is rumbling. Oh man, you should eat before we record or drink coffee. So I have to make our listeners sad. I have a confession. Oh no! What is that? I have never watched Sherlock the TV show. Oh, on BBC. Um whatever the one with uh what's his face that played uh, dr strange i don't what's his name jeremy benedict cumberbatch that's his there name. you go and then watson was um oh he was a hobbit i don't remember his name at all mark freeman that was that was uh bilbo right yes he played bilbo yeah who else did he play but yeah i've i watched part of an episode once um it what I saw was decent. I just yeah. never got into watching it, and I think there's so many damn seasons that I never will. Uh, it's not so much that there's a lot of seasons; it's that each episode is like an hour and a half long. So each, no it's, each season is like watching a movie and a half. Uh, I do think if you're gonna watch any of it, I would say just watch the first three, uh, and then if you really want to know what happens after that, because I think there's like another two seasons after that. If you really want to know what happens after that, just read it up on wikipedia or something um yeah the, probably not going to watch any of the them. last two seasons from what i remember are and i might get crucified i don't know how the uh the, the, the bbc sherlock uh fandom 
feels about them. But the last two seasons, I don't think were wa- worth watching, at least not at the length that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, this movie, so... I I obviously liked it a little less than Snatch. Okay. Um, I think it's better in some areas than Revolver, but worse in other areas. Okay. Overall, it's a good popcorn flick with uh, interesting it is. characters. I really, I, I think, I probably feel about the same way. Um, I mean, it's Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. Yeah. I mean, yes, Rachel McAdams is in it, but regardless. Uh, the lines, the quick back and forth with um, Watson and Sherlock, I thought stood out a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't imagine how much practice went into that with the timing, but it was so quick-witted and so fast and so natural between those two. Uh, just, I, I just really enjoyed watching the two of them together on screen. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah, I would look for other movies where the two of them work together, kind of like that um, Pacino and De Niro connection. If Pacino and De Niro in a movie together, I'm watching it. That this movie might solidify, and the second one that if Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law are in a movie, I'm all automatically in it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm watching it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, entertained, completely entertained. Uh, really liked it. Definitely felt that he was not the writer in that one. Obviously. Yeah. Something that That's I noticed. I say about that. Uh, you see this in every other movie because I think every other movie, with the exception of maybe Gentleman, I think Guy Ritchie's written, right, or had some hand in writing. Yeah, you've seen mm-hmm. all the movies, except for this one, the that staple, which is another thing you see a lot with Guy Ritchie, is the fact that at the end of each sentence, like if two characters are talking, they call the other one by the name, you know. Um, so this one you don't see that. I think they reference each other a few times, but it's never like to that quick-witted degree that you see in like Snatch or Revolver or. Mm-hmm. Um, King Arthur. I think Gentleman does it a little bit, but not as much. Yeah, I think you're right, too. I tell you the truth, I didn't pay much attention to that until you just said it, and I'm like, yeah. But it, it might have something something else to do with the other two movies we've talked about so far. There is so many characters and so much back and forth between the different characters that it's almost trying to... It's almost like he's writing that in there to say hey, don't forget his name. I know we've seen three other people. This is how we're going to connect the dots. Yeah. I'm sure uh, that's probably part of it. The uh, the character of Sherlock, I did say I didn't have anything else to say about this, but now that I'm thinking about it, the character of Sherlock stood out to me, uh, interestingly enough. So you see Robert Downey Jr. kind of plucking at the violin a couple of times. Um, well, I mean, it's pretty significant throughout the movie. He's plucking on that. In the books, he plays violin quite well, and Watson often talks... Because the books are written from Watson's standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a journal of Watson's interaction with him. Um, But he he plays it quite well, and Watson talks about just how good he is at just about everything he does and how he sort of dives into it so deeply. But something else that's really interesting about the uh, character of Sherlock Holmes is... He's obviously a genius. He's very perceptive. He's constantly studying everything to the point where he studies different um, tobaccos so that he can see, like he could pick up a, a bit of a cigar and know where it came from. Who's like just weird things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he just studies everything because that's what he likes. He likes to notice stuff. 
uh, but he always has to have a challenge. So his downfall is he ends up smoking a lot of, I'm guessing, I don't know if it's heroin or peyote or whatever it was back then that they would have smoked. I think it's heroin. Opiates, opium. Oh, opium. Um, yes. So he did that a lot. And it's, you see it in other movies. You see it in, I think in the second movie, you see him at one point in an opium house, kind of passed out. And this one, you don't see that as much. But it's something that throughout the series, Watson realizes that if he doesn't have some sort of a challenge to sort of like connect his mind or challenge his mind, he has to smoke it so that it calms him down enough to not bas- to basically not be bored. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, he, he sort of goes crazy. And I think, I don't think in this movie they showed that part of Sherlock enough because I think that's, I think it's necessary to really understand the character. What what are you looking at? <laughs> Fucking upstairs. Am I bored? No, the upstairs neighbors, like, they keep stomping around and, like, I can see them on my waveform. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, I think just overall, it's you lose something with Sherlock by not seeing that big negative side of him and just how much uh, intensity is in that. At least for me, mm-hmm. had I never read any of the books, I don't think it would have mattered at all. But now that I have, it's kind of it's very noticeable. As I want to see that in the character going forward. Yeah. They they uh, touch on that more than the movie does in the BBC show, uh, but not to the degree where I don't. At least I don't remember him taking like legitimate hard drugs. Um, I think he mm-hmm. might have like patches or something, like nicotine patches or something like that. Um, but the idea of like him needing work to or a that challenge, addiction. yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, they that's more of a, a prevalent characteristic for Sherlock on that show. Um, and I, yeah, I think you're right. I think they just touch on it a little bit in this one. I remember there was the scene where he had the gun, and I then watched. there was a scene where he had like the butterflies or something, or the flies or whatever in that bottle. I just watched something else. I thought, oh, never mind. It comes up later. Um, I was thinking about Lestrade, but I was like, I connected him with something else. But never mind. That's we'll get to there. Anyway, um, all right. So, Sherlock, the first Sherlock Holmes movie with Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law, pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all I got to say about that, again. <laughs> yeah, it's it, for me, it's in the same vein as, like, Marvel movies where it's a good movie, it's good entertainment, but if you're looking for a compelling story, compelling characters, compelling um, setting, you know... I would go watch other movies <laughs> before this one. Um, although I <laughs> do think, Je- I think you're right. Downey Jr., Jude Law, McAdams, they all did really well with their characters. Um, I think that's probably the strongest point of these movies. And, and even Strong, yeah. God, Blackwood is amazing villain. Because um, even with that one, like, I remember, like, there was no, I remember there wasn't any super, supernatural elements, but I don't remember how they, like, um, like how they debunked that in the movie um, until it got to the point where I was like, oh, I got it. Okay, so that's how they do it. And then Danny Jr. explains it. Um, so I like that. Yeah, he... Just a, a great, great actor, uh, really. And that was just a face that, like, oh, I know him in so many movies, and I started going back through him, like, 
Yeah, that guy's been in a lot of movies. You're talking about Junior? A, a lot. Or um, Strong? No, uh, Mark Strong. Oh, yeah, he's in a ton of movies. Yeah. He's in Kingsman. He's in uh, fucking yeah. uh, Shazam. He's in... God, what else is he? He's in, like, shows and shit. Like, isn't he on the... Yeah. One of the SVU? Is, it, is that it? Law and Order SVU? Is that what, he, what's he, what he's on? Potentially... I mean, it's just like flipping through his, it's so many, it's just so many, but what a great actor. It's a shame he doesn't have, he's not as a bigger actor. He's not an A-list actor uh, by any means, but he's definitely a fantastic character actor. So yeah. Yeah. Um, he's usually in right. a bright spot in whatever movie he's in. No. All right. So the next movie. So we're at an hour in. Uh, do you want to cut it off here and then continue the discussion in the next podcast? Yeah, so I'll take this bit off sure. an hour and four. All right, so something that I thought was when I look back at our wrestling one and after talking to Orion and some of the feedback he gave me and there was one thing that he said that I was like, you're right, I should have did that. That would have made it so much better. And then I talked to somebody else and they gave me slightly different feedback and I was like, oh my God, yeah, the cut on that. So I think on the wrestling one, what would have made it better is had we talked about the both the Bob Rosses back-to-back and both of the um, Mr. Rogers back-to-back. Yeah. And did it that way. And then when I edited it, yeah, we could have did two wrestling, two Bob Ross, cut. Two wrestling, two Mr. Rogers, cut. And that would have been the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, both of the feedback I got was that it sort of took them away from the Bob Ross and the Mr. Rogers because they were detached from it. Yeah. And because we went back and referenced, we didn't talk about it all together, it, it sort of separated a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um so in, in this case, I think what would be interesting if, I, if we do decide to cut and edit and make it two separate ones is to make it very uniquely different, um, each, like each section. So it's like this movie, this movie, this movie sort of thing. Um, I don't know how I'm, I want to edit that or whatnot, but if it is – just watching your eyes like, what the fuck is he talking about? I don't like – Yeah, it. I don't understand how we would do something like that with this because it's all Guy Ritchie movies it is but it's as far as like talking about each individual movie and being able to cut them up I, I don't know it's I'm just I just have things running through my mind as far as the cutting process but yeah if this is where we cut it and decide to make a second one great but I don't know how much you know I don't know that we're gonna get an hour out of the next two who knows We'll see. I I really Let's think we can them. get through the rest of this in the next twenty five minutes, or we we can have an hour thirty yeah. minute podcast if we hurry up. Yeah, we've done that before. We've done two hours, but all right. So our next movie is King Arthur, which is the movie that started this entire thing. Yes, it is. I originally had wanted to suggest this movie to you to watch. Um, but then it kind of spawned into this whole, oh, let's just watch Guy Ritchie movies. Let's treat ourselves to <laughs> uh, about 10 hours worth of great content. Um, yeah, I'm not mad about it. And I usually don't like watching movies. Uh, but yeah, I am not mad about it in the slightest. So, um, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. We've got Charlie Hunnam 
as Arthur. We've got um, Astrid Berg's Frisbee as the mage, which, holy God, she did great. Uh, we got Jude Law as Fortigan. We got um, uh, Demon Hansu as Bedivere. He also did great. Uh, Eric Bana as Uther mm-hmm. did great. Aiden Gillen. Is, this is also, like, this might be one of the biggest casts, with maybe the exception of the gentleman. Um, yeah, I mean, you got Littlefinger in this one. Yeah, you got Littlefinger. Uh, yeah, like, I think Tom Wu, you got him as George. Uh, yeah, they mm-hmm. all, all did really great. Um, I was correct, but not fully correct. You have uh, Guy Ritchie as... Partial writing credits. Yeah, partial writing credits. You have Joby Harold, uh, Lionel Wigram, which I think he also was writing... Didn't he write... Uh, he, was, he also had a writing credit for Sherlock Holmes, I think. He did. So maybe like Lionel Wigram is like one of the people that usually works with Guy Ritchie for like these bigger movies. Uh, he did with The Man from Uncle as well. The story... Which is a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, that makes sense, then. Because The Man from Uncle, I remember getting a lot of... Uh, a lot of... Uh, promotions for that. He's a producer on a lot of these movies, too. Yeah. Also, this is interesting. So, the story... Uh, not the screenplay. The story... Was uh, David Dobkin and Joby Harold. So... Yes. Uh... I don't know if that they're necessarily like. I don't think I have a point to make that. It just is interesting to me. Because <laughs> um, this, I'm, I guess, trying to look. the story, the story, purely the story of this by King Arthur doesn't really remind me of a Guy of Ritchie story, but the way it's adapted to screen and told through the film medium does remind me of Guy Ritchie. So I guess that's the point I would make if I had to make a point there. I thought, yeah, and I think the opening montage of the kid growing up, um, super. I thought that felt, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that really stood out. If I, now that I've seen a few of his movies, I think that's one of those things. Like, yep, that's his fingerprint again. Mm -hmm. Like that is definitely what he does and what he's known for. It was quick cuts. The sound effects were heavy on things like the doors closing, the boxes, the wood scrapes. and it was those kinds of things, and I think that's what he does really well is the the sound effects being intensified to intensify the quick cuts. Mm-hmm. It just sort of again, it's just it's it's so chaotic and so fast, but yet you never feel chaos in it. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, or you never feel out of control. Yeah. yeah if you do I, feel chaos, it's usually controlled chaos. Which I got yes. that very much with a later scene that was very similar when he's in the Darklands. Um, okay. When he's like yes. uh, kind of getting to that point where you can uh, fully embrace the sword and, and all that shit. I love this fucking movie, dude. I, it's, it's partially I... because I'm a sucker for Charlie Hunnam. It's partially because I'm a sucker for fantasy. Uh, partially because I'm a sucker for King Arthur and the legendarium with that. Uh and I liked Guy Ritchie, so like it, it, it's a very perfect blend of things that I really, really like. Yeah, I, I think it had a, a definitely a lot of things that I really enjoyed about this. I thought it was interesting. First off, let's go back to the cast, because you didn't say one of the characters in this movie. And I have to throw this out there. David fucking Beckham. David Beckham. David fucking Beckham. David, you, I hope you know that uh, name. Isn't that the soccer guy? Yeah, yeah. 
So I don't see him on my this... list here. He's on there. He's in there. He's the guy um, when he goes up to grab the sword. He's the the guard that's telling him. Oh, like, get, right. Like, Ten digits on the handle. Pump it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've got this like weird love thing for David Beckham to the point where my old friend group used to make fun of me because I used David Beckham as an example in a lot of leadership type things of, mm-hmm. you know, you don't wake up and you're just like David Beckham didn't wake up to become an international soccer star stud, whatever else he had to go through the process. He didn't wake up so to be a stud. Sort of a joke. He was born. Yeah. Like, like he had to grow into that. But I mean, if, if, if people don't know who David Beckham is, I mean, he was, it's like Michael Jordan. Like, you know, the name David Beckham and how he relates to soccer and what mm-hmm. he did. But he was also, I mean, GQ. He married one of the fucking Spice Girls, for Christ's sake. I mean, let's get real. He has mm-hmm. beautiful kids. He's a beautiful man. And he's the greatest soccer player that ever played. Probably not the greatest, but just probably the best well-known. Mm-hmm. So him being in the movie makes me very happy to see him do stuff. I don't think he's a great actor by any means. <laughs> I do just like seeing him and shit. Yeah. No, that was a good scene. I, I, uh, I remember... Because I had to rewatch it, so this is—I've now watched it four times. This is—I love this movie, dude. It's—it's it's surpassed the guilty pleasure part of me, and now I was like, "This is a good movie. I like this." Um, but I do like that scene. I quote that scene all the time uh, when I am walking away to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I've only quoted it once, and it was because of that. I had to pause. It was just after the scene. I was like, that's really funny. And I'm quoting it as I'm walking. Wait a minute. You quote the scene. You wrap your fingers around it when you're going to the bathroom? I only once. <laughs> oh, my god! It was this last time. I had to, I drank a lot of water, and I had to go pee. And it was at that point. So they did the quote, and I was like, oh, okay, that's funny. I have a good time to pause it. <laughs> was... Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so. I... <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, Gosh. Uh, I thought the special effects in this movie were really mm-hmm. good. They weren't overdone. They were good. Um, the So this is obviously a retelling of this story. I, I do... I went on a hike recently, and it was about the time that I watched this movie or, or was getting ready to watch this movie. Uh-huh. And one of the characters from your D&D campaign and I were um, hiking, and we were talking about how at what point... Do like how many times is this story going to be retold? And in our last podcast, we kind of talked about. I think we even mentioned King Arthur as well. Um, it's you're borrowing from this old Nor. Is it Norse Norse mythology? Or no, no, it's I guess Welsh. It's Welsh mythology. I would like to go back and read the beginnings of this because. Like, we, we mentioned, is the sword and the stone even part of the beginning of that? When the hell did that come into it? I, I don't know exactly, but I think... So, I'm going to totally butcher this. I need to, like, actually take a moment and do some, like, legitimate research. But from the scattered reading and research that I've done in preparation for a story I'm writing... So, there's actually two swords. There's not just... There's Excalibur and there's Caliburn. Excalibur is a sword in the stone that... Um, to draw it means uh, you are going to become the king of England. Uh, Caliburn 
or no, Caliburn is the one you draw that be becomes the king of England. Excalibur was the one given to him by the Lady of the Lake that gives him, like, powers and shit. So I'm pretty okay. sure Caliburn is the original sword. Excalibur is something that comes up, that comes in later, um, in the later mythologies. Uh, so while, so there's things in this story that is definitely pulled more from, especially, like, the music very welsh sounding mm -hmm. i don't know if it's like legitimate welsh which we'll talk about daniel pemberton's soundtrack later because goddamn is it amazing um there's some things and some aspects in this story that are definitely pulled from like the earlier welsh stories but it's very much like an original quote-unquote retelling of the story like okay. the fact that vortigan i don't believe is a um a named character in in the welsh mythologies i think that's an original character uh, Mordred is actually in the mythologies Mordred's bastard son and in this movie he was like the old wizard that Arthur's dad killed um, they yeah. name drop Merlin once or twice maybe I thought that was interesting that they didn't play up they didn't play to the Merlin mythology yeah. that we typically see within uh, the King Arthur yeah, and that's what I like about it and the fact that like, you know Exc Excalibur yeah. like gave him like <laughs> superpowers pretty much uh was kind of original yeah. i think you probably see that a lot in the other stories but it's it's dialed up to an 11 at least in the form of like film which i think is really cool yeah it, that supernatural magical sort of feeling mm -hmm. um my i think my first other than disney's the sword and the stone i think my first introduction into the king arthur legend um was it arthurian legend or arthurian mythos is um first night with Richard Gere, Sean Connery, mm -hmm. um, back in, you know, the nineties. Um, and it, it doesn't hold up well now, uh, just cause it's kind of corny, kind of like Prince of Thieves, yeah. sort of corny, but you look back like, Oh man, I was really good back then. Um, but I, I do like the mythology and I think it's fascinating from what I've seen. And it almost, eh, almost, I'm not sure if I want to dive deeper into that, how deep I want to go into it, but it does, it does interest me to want to read a little bit about mm -hmm. it. Um, I really like did, I one last quick thing about the mythos I like that they pulled from your less known knights of the round table like Bedivere you never see him in that character and really any like famous Arthur yeah. stuff uh, William uh, uh, George um, Tristan like all these like yeah you have Percival um, mm -hmm. but like you never see... I'm glad they didn't do Gwen for sure, because I don't have anything against Gwen yeah. as a character in the original Arthur and Mirthos. It's just... Or Lancelot. Or Lancelot. Like, There's just super common mm -hmm. uh, Knights of the Round Table to pull it's from. It's like an easy way out. Yeah, yeah, so I like that. Well, I mean, and to my understanding, though, Lancelot came later after the Round Table was formed. Yeah, so he's like some French in this knight. movie, they... Yeah, they never even finished the Round Table. They started the Round Table, mm -hmm. which I do want to point out. That's the dumbest fucking table ever. That table was too... Like, I get wanting to have a round table, sir, but you can't ever put anything in the middle of that table, so why even make the whole table it's that a com way? It's that table a, was stupid it's big. A communal, it's a communal thing. Because you're all sitting around yeah, a table I and think, it's communal. Have you never had like a big-ass a big table like that where you can't reach the middle? I think one time we went to a pub up the road. You might have been there for that one. And we played a game in the middle of the table. And it was a nice, like, seven, eight people could sit around that table. And that was nice. But you could stand up and reach it. I want to say it was probably about five or six feet across. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of nice. But I think when you have a table that big, you need a lazy Susan in the middle of it. Fair enough. 
Yeah. But enough about the fucking table. Um, I felt like there was sort of a Robin Hood-esque tale being weaved as well throughout this. Yeah. Uh, and I liked it. Like, it was almost like they took the King Arthur legend and they're like, hey, this Robin Hood story is also kind of cool and fits that narrative because that's also probably Welsh as well. Um, and sort of kind of weave the uh, two together. I don't know if Robin is Welsh. I think he's just English. Because he came in the Crusades. Maybe. Okay. He, he fought. So, yeah, but it's... Yeah. He fought. Yeah, so, yeah, I think... I thought that was interesting that it sort of um, brought in that Robin Hood story, the, you know, the, the poor man's hero. Yeah. Well, I mean, also this story took place in Londinium, which is like, you know... Uh, mm-hmm. like in the 600, I would guess like 600 AD ish era of uh of England. Yeah, probably. And again, I mean, Guy Ritchie is from England, so this fits. You know, all all the movies we've talked about so far have all been based out of England of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like once again the dialogue. The dialogue was also very good, uh, especially with like. Arthur talking to um, the Resistance, and then Arthur... There's that one scene earlier in the movie where Arthur and... Um, I don't know his name. The dude... He plays uh, fucking... He plays the Ramsey... Uh, or Bolton. Bruce Bolton. He plays Bruce Bolton in Game of Thrones. <laughs> what was the actor's name? Oh, a Freddy Fox? Rubio? No. No. Uh, I don't know. Shit. I don't know. Is it Rob and Knight? No, that's Mordred. Well, regardless. Um, oh, it's Michael McKell Hatton. He okay. played Jack's Eye. Uh, there's that scene earlier where, like, the, the uh, guard kind of, like, came into the brothel or whatever. And he's like, tell me okay. a story or whatever. And then he's like, what is this, a fairy tale? And he's like, they, I think he mentions George at one point. He's like, which George? King George? <laughs> it's just... Really good, quick, snappy dialogue that is super reminiscent of just about everything Richie does, which I thought was really good. Um, yeah, and get I wonder, is he, because he didn't write all of this, does he write part, is that the part of the movie that he wrote? Or is that, again, like, hey, let's, because I like my stuff to be sped up and sort of fast, because if you think about it, that dialogue is very reminiscent of his action scenes as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's quick, it's snappy, it's witty. Um, yeah. And you sort of have to, you have to follow along with it, uh, like you're watching a tennis match, back and forth, back and forth. And if you don't go back and forth, you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. And but you never feel out of control in it, even though it's very fast. Yeah. And with this movie, so I was going to wait uh, until this movie to talk about it. So you saw it a little bit in Revolver, not so much in Sherlock Holmes, but in this one, and then especially in Gentleman. Uh, you see it a lot. You see that uh, quirk of filmmaking where we get to a point in the story, you know, where some, like maybe someone enters a building or whatever, uh, but then it takes like a step back and shows you them walking up to the building or whatever. So you, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't know how to explain it. It's just like a super quirky, weird, like thing that he does in his movies where like take two steps, take a step back to show us getting from the first step to the second step. It's just kind of cool, and, and I really, really like that. 
See, and I feel like that it's is... It's like constant in medias res, is what it is. Yeah. I, th- I think, too, though, that sort of throws back to Tarantino as well. Yeah. Uh, where Tarantino likes to show the end of this movie, the end of these storylines, and then brings you to it. Um, or to a point, which we'll see in the next movie. But he brings you to a point and then takes you back through. And I thought that was really... I, I still think, and again, I've got to go back and do some reading about Guy Ritchie and sort of what his influences were, but it, Tarantino has to be. Like he, in my opinion, you could call Guy Ritchie the, the English Tarantino, or you could call Tarantino the American Guy Ritchie. I mean, I really do feel like their films share a lot of the same characteristics and their fingerprint is similar. Not the same. I think they're both uniquely different, but there are definitely some things that both of them do that are unique that I don't know very many other uh, directors that do it. And then it makes me wonder, what are some of the older directors that they watched that caused them to get to this, like, that vibe? Uh, I do know that Tarantino is very eccentric in his uh, film watching. Yeah. Has a lot of, yeah, weird stuff that he likes. So maybe Guy Ritchie's the same. Who knows? Another thing that I really like, um, this is something that you see... I, let's see, I want to say you saw it in Sherlock and this movie. There's um, something interesting. Uh, whenever there's like a close-up of someone's uh, shot of someone's face, um, you see like the background behind them is like kind of fuzzy and moving, but it's stable on their face. There's like an actual word for that camera. I don't remember what it is. Um, but yeah. it's, like a, it's like another staple shot of his that you see in a lot of movies. Like I think in King Arthur, you see it when... Uh, Arthur, I think, picks up the sword for the first time and, mm-hmm. and puts both hands on it. Um, yeah. I think you see it in Sherlock when... I want to say it's Robert Downey Jr. at some point um, when Sherlock uh, is doing something. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's another thing I thought was kind of interesting. What's that called? Where it's like... I don't know. It's, like, super stabilized. Like, whatever's in focus is stabilized, but everything else is, like, kind of shaky. They did it... The last movie that I remember did it was um, the It movie with Skarsgård. Never watched it. Fuck. It's horror. I don't watch horror movies. I don't watch it either, but I just remember that that type of camera shot. Oh. Whatever. Anyways, (laughs) it was really good. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about with King Arthur is the music. Talk about music. Well, before you get there, before you get to there, because that's a good finish, I have one more thing to say about the actual movie. Okay. Uh, the end of it, the ending, reminded me a lot of uh, The Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, um, the end scene in that one. Uh, it caused me to have kind of like those same emotions uh, in The Return of the King, which, spoiler alert, but if you haven't watched Lord of the, the Rings, The King returns. Um, yeah, he, he returns. But when... Um, the hobbits bow, and um, Aragorn's like, you you bow for nobody. And just that sort of, that emotion that I felt watching that, I believe I experienced that same emotion at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And that, that alone, had this movie been mediocre the whole way through, which it was not, but had it been mediocre the whole way through, when it got to that last scene, that would have sealed this as being just a great movie to me because I think that's that's what I watch movies for is I want emotion. Mm-hmm. I want authenticity and emotion, and I feel like that really was authentic uh, to what emotions you would feel through the entire movie that I watched. I just felt like, okay, this is 
this made me love this movie. Yeah. And even like so. speaking of like raw emotions and making you feel it like there is maybe too much, but there is like four scenes where a character just gets falls to their knees and just screams and and like that yes. emotion is overwhelming. I think they probably could have limited just one per character uh, because two characters do it twice. Um, I don't know if you remember. I mean, for you though, you probably love it because it's kind of like I don't know, pinning somebody for a two count over and over again in a in a match. That's the last podcast, dude. That's the last <laughs> podcast. But no, like I, I so there's um that scene towards the end where um. Arthur, I think uh, it's just after they escape Londinium after the failed assassination attempt, and like um, okay. you know, uh, um, Backlack is that his name? Yeah, Backlack uh, is killed, and so he's like running through, uh, or he he goes to the cliff, he throws his sword off, he starts running through the forest, falls in a a puddle of mud, and then is dragged through some like weird like underground or underwater like lake vision by the lady at the lake. Yeah, and then when he comes back up. He has the sword. Such a cool fucking character-driven emotional moment. And then all he can do is just fucking scream and rage at the sky because of the destiny that has been thrust on him that he didn't want in the first place. Perfect. So good, dude. But see, I think so, too. And I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I've experienced that myself. And as I went through different things in my life, like going through a divorce and all this stuff, there were moments where I would drive away and the only thing I could do was just scream like grab my steering wheel and just scream no no words no anything just guttural emotion Mm -hmm. coming out um even out of excitement there's been times where something good has happened to me and all i can do is just want to scream just a very monotone loud uh boisterous because you know it's it's all that emotion and energy within you that just has to get out so yeah i i think it was done well in this movie yeah and it just goes back to what we were saying earlier about how Guy Ritchie is able to have real characters in his movies that have yeah. real emotion, yeah, that definitely. feel real. Um, so, yeah, I I really like it. You Good acting, good directing, good writing. I think the three of those combined make a just a deadly, deadly option mm-hmm. of awesome creativity. Yeah, and then you throw in fucking a great soundtrack – like yeah, Daniel so, Pemberton. Oh my God, amazing soundtrack. Look this guy up. Uh, I only know of one other soundtrack that he did, and it came out recently, or at least it came up on Google Play Music recently, or YouTube Music now is what it's called. Um, he did the uh, Dark Crystal soundtrack uh, that just came out. That's also a very good soundtrack. Um, I've listened to that several times so far. Uh, wow, his his uh, credit is a lot. What else has he done? Birds of Prey. Okay. Trial of uh, the Chicago Seven, which is a fantastic movie. Okay. Um, the Boys, the Amazon original, The Boys. Shit, no, really. Okay. Um, yep, performer and writer for that one. That's a good um, show. Venom, he did uh, producer for that okay. one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm Gold with Matthew McConaughey, or not Matthew McConaughey? Um, what? Why did I think that was Matthew McConaughey? Oh, it is. Yeah, as like I do know that one. Um. Steve Jobs, great book, not my favorite movie of theirs. Um, oh, Little Big Planet too. This, this guy's great. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff, and he's got some upcoming stuff happening too. Um, yeah, just yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, I have to check. I could 
I think the soundtrack is one because I listen to a lot of movie soundtracks. One, when I'm playing board games, I like having movie soundtracks because there's no lyrics, so nobody's getting caught up in that. And I like them to be sort of themed to whatever game we're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see a couple of mine, like the Western Kingdom movie or Western Kingdom games. This would be a great soundtrack behind playing some of those games. Yeah. Just to kind of feel that. God, you just honestly like I would recommend like even if you've never seen the movie, just go listen to the soundtrack. It's a great fucking soundtrack. There's some good pieces. Um, Run Londinium, Run, Run Londinium is very good. Um, that's like that fast-paced, like, <laughs> you know that you know what I'm talking about, Jeremy? When they're like, I don't. When they're I running don't. away from the assassination attempt, and you have like the the GoPros on the yes. side of their head, like that is a good soundtrack. Uh, you got fucking um, the uh, the Devil and the Huntsman. That's another really good one. Just the the basic title track is really good. Like. The soundtrack is amazing. It's. Really, I'm trying really to find good. it on Apple Music and I can't find it. It's like they have different songs. Really can't find the album. They don't have. Yeah, like oh, there it is. All right, it was weird. It didn't want to pick it up right away. Yeah, I'm adding. This is definitely getting added to uh, that game playlist because I, I. This is one that I think that I would like to have just mm-hmm. in the background and, and listen to. A little just be bit. careful if you don't want any lyrics at all. The Devil and the Huntsman does have lyrics, but it's like... Oh, I don't mind that. It's not super... Like, it's not the focus of it. Yeah, the Red Dead soundtrack is... We play anything that's Western-themed. I like that one. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a couple of songs oh, in there. Dead Man's Gun. I think... It's a good song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dead Man's Gun. Man, good. we could... Uh, anyway. <laughs> Anyways. All right. All right. <laughs> so... I get lost in that one. King Arthur. Great uh, movie. Highly recommend it. Great, great movie. Um, I still, part of me wishes we would have did the compare and contrast between this one and the um, other movie. We still can. The other King Arthur movie. We still movie. can. We can. Yeah. Like, I still like, have. I've seen this movie four times. I could probably talk about I've this for another 30 about. minutes. It's so good. That's One last thing. That's crazy. One last thing. Well, let's. One last thing. Okay. I really liked, this is something super simple that filmmakers can, can utilize, is the the outfit colors of King Arthur is always uh, light grays and whites and light colored neutrals. Whereas with Vortigan, uh, the big bad evil king, he's always in yeah. dark, dark, uh, cool colors like um, like black and, and dark gray, dark brown, uh, mm-hmm. dark blue and green. The only exception, the only time that changes is once Arthur is crowned king, uh, he is wearing gold. And I think Vortigan has okay. dark... Or no, he has purple. Vortigan has dark... Uh, like a gold shirt once, I think. Like, I went into the, this time, okay. like, specifically... Because I remember picking that out in a previous viewing. I was like, let's see if that's legitimately what happens in the entire movie. And it's it's that way the entire movie. The only time it changes is Arthur, when Arthur is crowned king and he has purple on. How, you've watched this four times. In what kind of time frame? Uh, I think the first time I watched it was... Six-ish months ago, probably. Holy shit. You've watched this movie four times in six it's months? so good, dude. Good lord. Oh, no, no, sorry. Okay. It's probably close to like eight or nine months, because it was late last year. You know there are other movies that you haven't seen that would probably be just as good, yeah, right? Yeah, but this one's so good. Okay. Like the top 100 movies of all time sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, cool. It's, you do you. It's so good. That's a lot. I can't help it. Um, I don't think I will be watching right. it again soon, just because like 
this fourth time, like, there were parts where, like, I've seen this so many times, I can actually get on my phone, and, like, I can hear them talking, and I can visualize what's happening. Um, so, okay. I don't plan on watching it again anytime soon. My goodness. Anyways, let's go to the last so one. So, the last movie. The Gentleman. The Gentleman. 2019. So, we have spanned 19 years of Guy Ritchie Films, and this one we rounded out with writer and director again. Um, which I think is fitting Yes, that we, we finish it off with this. Um, and I'm glad we finished it off with this. Yeah. It looks like there's a couple other writing credits. Uh, but Guy Ritchie did have a writing credit for the story and the screenplay this time. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, which is weird that there's... Lauren Bond yeah, a lot was of... the story editor. Lauren Bond. Why is that interesting? Uh, because the way that the story was edited was amazing. Uh, and I think one of its... Not necessarily saving grace because i think it had a lot of other strengths but one of its key components to being a good film and a good story was uh made in the editing room i think so lauren bond great job um ivan atkinson and well, marn she's davies also an actress interesting ivan atkinson and yeah, marn and davies she has a twin sister um yeah sorry. <laughs> you mentioned her name ivan atkinson marn davies and Yes, I got it. I'm I'm repeating. What I'm you're repeating saying at this for point. the people, though, the podcast people, oh. the listeners. We're <laughs> oh, recording a podcast right now. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. I forget sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, goddamn, this one also great, a great uh, cast. Let's see, just running down. So you had Matthew McConaughey. I, I have before we hey, before we get out of the writers. I want to mention this as I'm sitting here looking at these different writers. Uh-huh. Um, and let's see if this guy did it too, because I think it is. No, I don't want to see trailers. Oh my lord! Who are you looking at? What, what happened? Ivan or Marn? I'm trying. Oh, there it is. Marn, right now. I've already looked at Ivan. Um. Yeah. Oh, I don't see him on that one. Camera operator. Okay, the other one he was. So, on a couple of them, I noticed that the writers were also producers on a couple of Guy Ritchie movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost wondering how much writing they're doing, or if it's one of those, like, hey, I'm the producer, so I want to add a few things here, but because I'm the producer, I'm also going to take writing credits. Not to diminish what they may or may not have contributed, because I don't know. Um, so, let's just get that out there right away. Yeah. But I, that is a question that I have when I see you have credits as a producer and then you have these credits for these other things. Like, eh, how much of that is your ego? Right. Uh, right. So, yeah, that is interesting. But if that's not the case, then... Yeah, whatever the case. So if we're just looking at basic, you know, surface-level things, the common denominator with all these movies is Guy Ritchie. So going off of that, yes. Guy Ritchie makes good movies. But... Guy Ritchie makes wonderful movies. But yeah, the cast. Let's talk about Matthew the cast. Matthew McConaughey. He's the main character. you got Charlie Hunnam in there as well. And now, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second. Uh, you got Michelle Dockery as um, Rosalind uh, or Ross Pearson. You've got Jeremy Strong. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Lene, uh, Lene Renee. Line Renee? Lynn Renee. Uh, you got Colin Farrell, Lynn Renee. Uh, Henry Golding, Tom Wu again. Um, you got Chidi Ajufo. Uh, he's Bunny. He's the uh, the dude who's rapping in the movie. Hugh fucking Hugh Grant. fucking Grant. Uh, you got uh, Jason Wong as fuck. <laughs> um, 
you've got uh let's see oh my god who else is in here yeah just i think everybody else is pretty much uh side characters and but yeah those, those all amazing all those did amazing so matthew mcconaughey and i believe i've talked about this in past episodes i listened to his book green lights mm-hmm. Um, if you have not listened to it or read it, I highly recommend getting the Audible and listening to it because he narrates it as well, and it's sort of a, an interesting look into his life. Um, I think Matthew McConaughey is, I don't know if he's my favorite actor, but he is definitely in my top 10 favorite actors of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but not just because of his acting, it's because of who he is outside of his acting as well. I think that he is just a, an amazing person. Um, mm-hmm. So anytime he's in a movie, I'm I'm very curious about. It. I think he also gets very in depth with his role, really encompasses his role very well. Yeah. Um, but I was so pissed off at the beginning of this movie. So I was so pissed off. Well, but there's two things I want to talk about first. One about Matthew McConaughey, which I I'm, okay. why are you pissed off at the beginning of the movie? Because you think they killed him off. Yes, because as I'm one, I knew nothing about the movie going into it, and I'm like, oh my god, yes, Matthew McConaughey, cool, this is going to be great. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, the fuck out of here! <laughs> but then, obviously, you know, it classic short-lived, yeah, <laughs> disappointment. Yeah. So I was never a fan of McConaughey until I watched Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, mm, okay. When I watched Dyers, Buyers Dallas Club, I was like, what did you call it? Buyers Dallas Club. <laughs> Dallas Buyers fuck me Dallas Buyers Club oh my god I got like four hours sleep last night folks um great movie I think McConaughey did a really really good job of uh in that um but uh I think what he was also in Interstellar right that was also a really good movie yep uh but anyways although I didn't like that movie but yeah eh I like its soundtrack (laughs) And I like yeah, a lot I of the too. visuals. I listen to that when I play space-themed games. The visuals on it were really cool, though. Like, especially the... Uh, they were, yeah. The planet with, like, all the water. Anyways, we're getting off track here. Um, so, all the characters, there's a through line with all the actors from each movie. Or with some actors through each movie. Uh, okay. So, we'll go through this one at a time. In Snatch and in Revolver... You had one actor that would, took a prominent role in each one. Do you know who that was? Oh, we're doing that before we even finish talking about the gentleman? Why would we not? Because I think that's like something we should do at the end of the... We talk about each of the movies. All right, well, have fun cutting that out. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. All right. <laughs> we're just going to talk about the Fuck movie. me, I guess. Um, Fuck me and my plans <laughs> and my preferences. God, this is the Jeremy Smith podcast. Oh, I just doxed you. Sorry. It is... <laughs> Above the board with Jeremy and his co-host. No, you fucker. Um, All right, the movie. Great movie. Great movie. Now what do you want to talk about? No. <laughs> All right, back to uh, the actors. Charlie Hunnam. Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. So, Hunnam. Okay. I don't... I, I didn't watch Sons of Anarchy. I know that's where he made, kind of got his big break. Mm-hmm. And I've heard fantastic things about him and never watched it. Didn't care to. Still don't care to. Um, actually, he'd be the only reason that I'd want to go back and watch it. The only other movie between this King Arthur that I've seen of him is um, is it Pacific Rim that he's mm-hmm. in? The first one, yeah. Um, and I thought he did a great job in that one. Yep. Um, and this this movie, especially watching King Arthur and the Gentleman back to back, 
I think it showed a lot of versatility in him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say this. And, oh, man, I might get if, – if we had a big following, I would get destroyed on the internet. And if we ever get a big following 10 years from now, I'm going to get destroyed on the internet for saying this. Oh, boy. Uh, I just want to – I just real quick want to say whatever Jeremy's about to say does not reflect my own personal opinion or belief or thoughts. Or the opinions of the Above the Board podcast. This is Jeremy's preference Jeremy only, only. And it's not a preference. Jeremy only. Charlie Hunnam is – in my opinion, I think he's a great actor, but I also think that he is sort of like a Tom Hardy, I don't want to say knockoff, because I don't think it's a knockoff, and that's why I'm afraid I'm going to get hammered for this. I don't think he's less than Tom Hardy, but I think that those two in a couple of these roles probably could be interchangeable, that you could pick either one. And in this role, especially in this role, I feel like there were numerous parts where I'm like, oh my god, that's Tom Hardy could have played that perfectly as well uh-huh. uh, maybe that's not <laughs> I so you're bad gonna to say, say some, but it feels like i'm gonna say some dumb shit what, no I, well, sure whatever well, it feels okay. like i'm saying like he's the the poor version of the poor man's tom hardy but he's not he holds his own in his yeah. own weight he's a younger ver- maybe the younger version of tom hardy but i feel like they're interchangeable like he sure. they yeah i think they're probably interchangeable in the same way that great actors of a certain caliber could be interchangeable Right, like I mean, take name name another one. Take like um, take Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, both phenomenal actors of amazing caliber, top caliber. I think a lot of roles, a lot of their roles can be switched because they're so versatile and so skilled as actors. That's what I'm thinking of. Because yeah, Charlie and, and, and Charlie Hunnam and, and uh, Tom Hardy are both also really good actors, and they have that they same are, versatility. They are, but I, I don't think that. Yes, but I don't think DiCaprio and Tom Hanks play the same character. Like there were moments in this movie where I was like, I think if Tom Hardy had that role, it would play exactly the same. I think in mannerisms in. All this stuff, like I, I could literally sure. see either one of those. That's that's all I'm saying. That's less of a uh, actor's work and more of a character work. That's more of a character thing. So all you're saying well, is that they the can actor, play the same character. I think, but I think they would play it the same way. I think, like, if you put, say, Brad Pitt and Matthew McConaughey, I think they're close in age, similar people. I think if you put Brad Pitt in this movie. It would not have played the same as Matthew McConaughey. And if you put Matthew McConaughey in Snatch, it would not have played the same way. Those two would have went at that character differently. I think – and maybe it is just this movie, but I just feel like this was a very – it was almost like, hey, we wrote this for Tom Hardy. Fuck, Tom Hardy couldn't be in it. We'll we'll call Charlie Hunnam again because he was in this last movie we did and he was pretty good. That's what it felt like. I guess. I don't know – so what's your point? So maybe he <laughs> what's is, your point that you're trying maybe to Maybe he is the poor man Tom Hardy. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying that in this movie, I really felt that Charlie Hunnam feel, felt like Tom you, Hardy. I think you think you're being attacked or that you're going to be attacked by that. I don't think anyone cares. Like, Okay, that's... then nobody cares. Good. So Charlie Hunnam in this movie reminded me a lot of Tom Hardy. You're like walking over eggshells like for no reason. Okay. 
Because I just keep the, the phrase, he's a poor man's Tom Hardy keeps coming up, but I don't actually think that. I just feel like that's how it's going to be taken, and that's not how I want it to be taken. Listen, because I think he holds his own in his own right. Listen, even if you did say that, and someone got upset online about it, they can go fuck themselves. Who cares? It's your opinion. True. It's your opinion, dude. That's very true. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, great movie. This great movie. Um, so Guy Ritchie's fingerprint throughout all of these was that fast cuts, fast action. Mm-hmm. This one felt slower, much slower in those cutscenes. Same feel, mm-hmm. but the fingerprint felt slightly different. Like it did just feel a little bit slower. Yeah, it didn't have that as quick and, and there was not a lot of action anyways i think there was what three action scenes maybe yeah well eh. yeah so it definitely like i see what but you even mean in it those... feels lots over but like especially in this one like i mentioned earlier where you are brought to a point in the story and then you have to take a couple steps back to see how they yeah. got to that i think that played into a lot of it as well because in earlier movies it would have been a more linear storytelling where like quick cut, quick cut, quick mm-hmm. cut to get to that point. Whereas in this one, it was cut to get to the point, take a step back and get to that point again. Which is that Tarantino-esque style that we talked about before that also Guy Ritchie shares. Mm-hmm. Which really, you know, now that I think about it, <laughs> going back to the whole Trillion and Tom Hardy... It's kind Does of anyone like else think that Guy, Guy Ritchie's Ritchie. a poor man's Tarantino? Is that what you're going to say next? <laughs> no. But it is like the two have a similar style, but they're not. I don't know that they're stealing from one or the other. And I think the same thing with the two actors. But anyway, moving forward. I'm never going to talk about Tom Hardy in this <laughs> podcast again. We will eventually. What Tom Hardy um, fanboys and fangirls are you so afraid of? Or I guess Charlie I'm Hunnam. I'm afraid of Tom Hardy. I'm the, it's, yeah, it's, it's the Charlie Hunnam fanboys I'm mad because Tom Hardy people are like, yeah, fuck Charlie Hunnam. He's a bitch. But he's not. He's a very good actor. <laughs> oh, my God. This stupid. What are we doing here? I don't know, dude. Um, I think, You're the one who wanted to do this podcast. I think the narrative, <laughs> yeah, I think the narrative of uh, Hugh Grant also helps sort of draw that, draw that out and mm-hmm. draw the st- story out, which does feel drawn out. Um, yeah. yeah, his his narration definitely draws it out. Yeah, it. Yeah, I think um, when I was thinking about it after I watched it last night, the the story that is being told with a movie isn't necessarily a big grand story, and it's not told True. in a grand story esque way. It's told in like a almost like a hap a haphazard scatterbrained. Uh, Hugh Grant characters, a Fletcher, a Fletcher is his character's name, a Fletcher, horny, uh, crazed mind thing. <laughs> like Fletcher made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. at some points. Like you're just a very, yeah. you're very much a horn dog, my man. Uh, <laughs> calm it down, <laughs> calm it down. <laughs> like there's time and a place. Um, but no, I was thinking about this. Wrap your fingers around <laughs> ten digits, right? Um, this movie very much felt like a spiritual successor to Snatch for me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I would you had all these 100% agree with different that. Different parties, intersecting stories. It, it felt a little... Where Snatch was very much like the hazards of, hap- of happenstance, The Gentleman felt more like 
uh, a shadow war between gangs of London or gangs of England and criminals of England. Yeah. With the same type of broad cast of characters with intersecting uh, storylines and story beats, but it felt more purposeful, whereas Snatch felt like an accident after accident after accident. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, yeah, Revolver felt like that in a way, too. Yeah, but I don't want to think about Revolver. <laughs> I didn't really like it. <laughs> yeah, agreed. So, hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Looking at his filmography, there's a couple of other movies that he had made, like The Man from Uncle, um, Rock and Rolla. Really, it'd be those, and then, which are, you know, throughout his career. I think if we would have watched those as well, you would have seen those steps kind of going from Snatch to here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I think this is, this is the quintessential Guy Ritchie movie. Much like Tarantino, and I keep saying his name because I, I do think the two, you could really do a compare and contrast between mm-hmm. the two. But much like you can watch specific Tarantino movies and be like, that is the quintessential Tarantino movie. And then you can watch other movies like, I see his fingerprint on this, but that's not the Tarantino movie. And that's not like, you saw his fingerprint on King Arthur. You saw his fingerprint on Sherlock, but they weren't the quintessential Guy Ritchie movies. And this one definitely felt like that, yeah. Yeah. Which I was glad to come back and finish this task off with because I really enjoy that part of him. Yeah. The humor in this one was also um, like top notch. There was a lot of funny moments uh, that it. It's like like what you said with Snatch. Like a lot of the uh, funny moments in that made sense for its time, and so this one, a lot of the humor felt like correct for its time as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but it was only two years ago. Right, but it's modern times. What do you mean? Yeah, okay, I, I know what you okay. mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it just, um, it, like, I, the more I think about The Gentleman and Snatch, the more similarities I can, and parallels I can pull between them. It's just... Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I have this note here, and I'm trying to figure out if I just have a spelling error, because I can't remember why I wrote it down. I say, Rot came into his own about an hour in. R-O-T, I don't know what that is. What Rot? Rot, yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking. There may have been like a um, a spelling error when I did that. Rot, uh, felt like he came into his own. Ray, I, it's game. Ray. Nope, I bet it's Ray. So it'd be Charlie Hunnam's character. Oh yeah. Um, I felt like it took about an hour for that character to really make an impact in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, once it did, holy hell, that character really stood out for the rest of the movie. Um, I don't know if that was by... I, I guess it's by design. I don't think that was Charlie Hunnam. Just not... I mean, maybe if you put Tom Hardy in there, it would have been earlier. <laughs> yeah, if they got Tom Hardy, they would have they would have uh, edited the story way differently. No, so yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, yeah. Essentially, from that moment that he was sent to go get... Um, what's her name? Ellen? I think so. Uh, or Laura. Rosalind? Elliot Sumner played Laura Pressfield. Um once, like, the moment he was sent to go get Lara Pressfield from the uh, the uh, bad part of town or whatever, like, he just chewed up the scene, dude. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, 
I think after listening to Green Lights, uh, I, I feel like there was a lot that McConaughey pulled from his life and sort of the the drama in his life to bring into this character mm-hmm. more so than I think Lincoln Lawyer might be the only other one that I can think of where I really felt that from him. Um, but then again, I would have to go back and rewatch movies in order to you know, make that comparison. Um, yeah, the dialogue in this, oh my goodness. And, and this was another thing. As it went on, it got better. Um, so, it, And I think that kind of maybe was part of the, the story kind of felt drawn out. So it took a little bit more time to sort of... It built. It, it just had a really good build on this movie. Yeah. You know, something... Um, and the ending. Oh, yeah. Ending was very good. Fuck me, it was good. Yeah. I just... I, I really did just kind of sit back. At, this was one of those movies that after you watch it... Like, the end of Revolver, I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? The end of Sherlock, I'm like, that was good. The end of this movie, I just kind of sat back and just... I hate to say it, but kind of just wanted to re-experience it like in my head, just in a replay, just kind of, I don't know. I just felt really good after watching this one. It was a very satisfactory ending because, like, yeah, at the end of the day, you're rooting for Matthew Conaghy's character, who is a drug lord, criminal, murderer, torturer, and whatever God knows else he is. But he's the good guy in the story. And so we, we we are cheering for him, so... To see him get all of his ducks in a row and have have the last word and the last say in every one of his conflicts felt good. Felt good uh, from a storytelling yeah. perspective. Um, Definitely. I can see that. Something that I thought was interesting, um, and I didn't notice this on first viewing, because I think I actually watched this movie before I watched King Arthur. But Tom Wu, he plays um, George in King Arthur. Mm-hmm. And he also plays Lord George in this movie. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh yeah, and yeah. then you have um, so, in Snatch you have um, a character Avi, um, mm-hmm. and then you in the uh, in Revolver you have one of the main characters whose also name is Avi, which I think is kind of cool that he he doesn't necessarily like recycle names, names, but yeah, it, it, I think they are very much like references. And then even with like yeah, oh yeah, Sherlock definitely. Holmes, the scene where he's bare knuckle boxing, you know, down below, very much felt like a reference to. Snatch with uh, Snatch. Brad Pitt's character. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's cool. I think so too. Like his movies with all the callback and self-referential humor and jokes and all that kind of stuff, you get that throughout his whole career with Guy Ritchie movies. Which, I, think which cool. I which I think is part of the reason why he can have that unique style and there's there's that fingerprint on it. Like It's just another thing that you without knowing who the director of a movie was, director, writer of a movie was, if you watched one of his movies, you'd probably know right away, or at least assume that he was the writer-director. Um, so let's go ahead and take the red thread throughout these five movies. Who were the people? you want to start from the beginning and work your way to the gentleman, or you want to go backwards? Uh, we'll start from the beginning. Um, so the beginning, right. we had uh, two... Actors who played prominent roles uh, from The Snatch mm-hmm. to Revolver. Do you know who that would be? Um, well, Jason Statham. Yes. Um, I'd have to look up because Brad Pitt never came to Well, no, no, else. no. Was it Vinnie Jones? Don't look it up. Don't look it up. If you don't know it. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I won't be able to remember. Was it Vinnie Jones? Oh. That would have been Bullet Tooth Tony. Was he in the second? Was he in Revolver? I don't think so. 
Yeah, I don't know. He's in Lock Stock. I know he he's been in a few of um, Guy Ritchie's movies, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Who was the other one? Uh, well, that's it. That, that's. I mean, I'm sure there's others like smaller ones, but so what I'm thinking of is in each movie, the movie before and the movie after, there's a through line of at least one, uh, one actor. So oh, one, okay. so yeah, one Jason actor. Statham so yeah, Jason one. Statham was in Snatch and Revolver, and then with Revolver, you had someone who also played a prominent role in Sherlock. Do you know who that is? I don't. Mark Strong. Oh, you know, I thought that was the same person when we were talking about it. I don't know why I didn't make that connection uh, back to him. Yeah. Oh, man. And Sherlock, he... So, you you probably won't understand this reference that much, but to our listeners who know D&D, um, there's a module called Curse of Strahd in, uh, for Dungeons & Dragons 5e where the titular villain okay. is um, Count Strahd. Uh, he's, a, he's a vampire. Very much your stereotypical, like brooding overlord vampire i think mark strong based off of his performance in sherlock would be an amazing strahd oh my god he was like a fucking vampire that entire that entire movie it was really really good mm-hmm. like dracula-esque um yeah he's he, i i thought he was fantastic in revolver still no I mean, man, he's I just, good. that yeah great great actor but yeah so that's the uh connecting between so we have Jason Statham from Snatched Revolver, Mark Strong from Revolver to Sherlock, and then Jude Law, Sherlock to King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Yep, to King Arthur, which I love Jude Law. I, it's a shame that he doesn't do a lot of acting anymore. I always thought that he was such a good actor. Yeah. Um, and then from King Arthur to uh, the Gentleman, you, you have, have the poor man's Tom Hardy. You have two actually. You have Charlie Hunnam, <laughs> also known as poor man's Tom Hardy, uh, and then and George, and, yeah, Tom Wu. Um, yep. So yeah, it was. Very, very interesting that I was watching. I was like, "Oh, this this works out." Um, which, which again, as the point was in the beginning of all this, it really pays to network, I guess, when you're an actor. Yep. Um, I don't know if these people have favors with him or not. Now I want to know when's Matthew McConaughey going to be in another uh, Guy Ritchie oh, film? I saw that um, Guy Ritchie has been credited as a oh, fuck. Where is he at? Um. So writer as a writer, uh, he's been credited uh, for the Gentleman TV series, which is in pre-production. Oh, that could be cool. Yeah, yeah, that could be definitely cool. So I don't know who all is going to be in it. I don't know if they've announced anything else, but I think it'd be very cool. Okay. Selvin so series based on last... Guy Ritchie's 2019 action comedy, The Gentleman. Who knows? Oh, and then Wrath of Man, I his think... latest movie, uh, that stars Jason mm-hmm. Statham. Of course it does. Well, Jason Statham and him, my guess is they're friends. They're both from England. Yeah. He was in the first one. I'm pretty sure he was in Lockstock uh, as well. Um, So, yeah, I I don't doubt that he's going to be in, like, all of those movies. Probably, yeah. Um, uh, Which is, I'm surprised he wasn't, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised he wasn't in more of the movies we watched. I kind of want to go down and see who's playing in um, Wrath of Man. To see if there's any uh, people that also were in the gentleman any connector from this one. Yeah, I'm not seeing anybody. Now, take in mind, we didn't we didn't watch these in order, so or we didn't watch these sequentially. So there were movies put in between these no. two. Yeah. So it may be five years before they reuse the same character. I don't know if any of these actors were in like 
multiple movies before the ones we did. So think about that, listeners. It's not necessarily that he uses one person, then the next movie he makes, he uses that person right. again. Five years or so between each of these movies. Yeah, that, the, the, the point we were making with that was that we thought it was interesting that that happened to be. Um, yes. Except for this last one. It was only two years between The Gentleman and King Arthur. That's true. And I think so. I think they I don't think he made a movie between them either. I think. No, I don't either. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that was the last one. So, um, so what about ranking yes. them? Um, how do you want to do it? Do you want to do least favorite to most favorite, most favorite to least favorite? Yeah, let's do that. The least favorite. And I do have, yeah. And I so I struggled. I, I want to say this right off the bat. I struggled with this. I don't honestly know if this is my definitive ranking for these movies except for the very last one is definitive there's no way around this um but i also think there's a difference between which of the movie and this is a weird thing to think about but which of the movies i felt were more guy ritchie-esque is a different ranking than the movies that i liked found more entertaining yes if that makes sense yes okay i make sure that they came across right so I'm going to do them in what I found to be more entertaining okay. as, as media consumption. I'll do the same. Okay. My least favorite, my guess is we're going to be in sync with this one. How about we do it on the count of three? Three, two, King one. King Arthur. Revolver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your least favorite, huh? No, Revolver was my least favorite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely Revolver. Uh, which is funny enough... Um, I felt like that one was a Guy Ritchie movie on crack at points. Like it felt like yeah, turned up to yeah. eleven. It was it was like if <laughs> it was like if Tom if Hardy poor, was if the poor man's Guy Ritchie. <laughs> no, it, it felt like a a film house style movie. Mm-hmm. Like he was definitely trying to be a little bit more artistic, trying something different, and. It, I just don't think it played out as well. I don't know that I would ever... I, I, that's a lie, because I did... If this movie would have been on HBO Max, or like if I didn't have to pay for this movie, I would have probably watched it again just to try to see if I can catch... Kind of like rewatching like a movie like The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Can I catch some of these things that are happening? But then again, I'm like, do I really want to waste another hour and 45 minutes of my life? Because I didn't... I don't know that I enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I there were there were definitely parts of it that I enjoyed that I thought were good, but I, overall I do not think that I enjoyed this movie. No, you took the words right out of my mouth. The only thing I was going to add to it was, um, and this is something I think is kind of curious. Uh, the Revolver on IMDb has been scored six point four out of ten stars uh, from okay. ninety one thousand reviews, and it had a twenty five on Metascore. Interesting. So, so I'm curious. Are you all each time we do one of these, I want you to pull up the next one. I do, yeah, because I'm curious what they would be. I will. Um, number four of the movie that I found the most entertaining, okay. and I'm going to be very, very transparent here. These four are very hard to rank. In my opinion, they are very hard to rank. These are great great movies Mm -hmm. and deserve to be on any like these are like if if you want to watch a good movie you could throw any one of these four in there and you're going to get a good entertaining movie Um, but I ranked number four with The Gentleman okay I put uh, 
Sherlock as my number four. Okay, I had a feeling. Uh, so let's look at the gentleman, see what it was, uh, what's, what it's been scored. How do you type again? <laughs> and I will say that the difference between number four and five, you could probably add most of his collection in between number four and five because yeah. that's how much I disliked Revolver compared to these other four. <laughs> so uh, the gentleman out of, uh, wow, uh, 266,000 reviews. So Revolver only had 91,000. This one had uh, almost three times as many views or reviews. Which, I mean, bigger cast. Yeah. Uh, it Newer. was scored a 7.8 out of 10 on... Uh, IMDb, and a 51 on Metascore. Okay. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, it definitely was that much better than Revolver. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, gentlemen, and then you say Sherlock. What, what was the Sherlock rating? Sherlock was rated 7.6 out of 10 with 592,000 reviews. Wow. So, okay. it's something that's interesting and to keep in mind is... There's a point where a movie gets so popular and has so many people reviewing it that naturally it's going to average of a lower score than if it didn't have as many views, right? Yeah. Because you're always yeah. going to have those people who are who maybe they just don't like Guy Ritchie, maybe they just don't like Jude Law or Robert Downey Jr., or maybe they just don't like movies based in England, or maybe they just don't like Sherlock Holmes, and they're going to just yeah. rate it poorly because of it. Where something like with True. Revolver, it is a lot lower, but the people who are reviewing it are probably people who either went out of their way to view it, or uh, for the for the um, express purpose of enjoying it or not enjoying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Just something to keep in mind. But yeah. So there's a sort of a dichotomy there, a definite polarization. Yeah. Uh, Sherlock Holmes also got a 57 on Metascore. Okay, so about the same. Yeah, about the same. A little um, bit better uh, performing on Metascore, which, again, I don't know. This is just what comes up on IMDb. I'm not seeking out Metascore because yeah. I don't, like, I, you know, whatever. I don't care. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, pretty much the same. So, the track so far. So, our number three. <sighs> What's yours? These are so hard. And these are going off the cuff. I didn't really I think about this beforehand. Um Pure entertainment value, I'm going to have to go with Snatch. Me too. That was definitely my number three. Yeah. Which makes sense because it's likely both seem to, seem to come into agreement. It's the most well-rounded of all of his movies, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's older. So yeah. I, I, it's older, so it's like it's, I think, a little bit harder to get into. Although, and I think that's the reason why I rated this higher than I rated... Uh, the gentleman, even though they're kind of interchangeable and you, you feel that progression, mm -hmm. I think I liked the fact of its age a little bit better. I think I liked a little bit more of the rawness aspect of yeah. it. The gentleman felt more polished. It felt like a more polished version of what Snatch would be in sort of that idea, which is why I think just right now it's slightly lower. But again, slightly lower. <laughs> like, this is not... Did I say how much Sherlock has been reviewed? I don't remember if I did or not. 500 and some yeah. thousand. Okay. Yeah. So, Snatch. We both agreed with that. Um, number three. Yep. Uh, it got out of 796,000 on IMDb 
which is more than what the gentleman or Sherlock mm-hmm. did. Um, wow. Okay. Almost. Brad Pitt. Almost as much as them together, actually. I think it's maybe like twenty thousand less than what they were together. If you were to put those both of those reviews together. No, you said five hundred for one, six hundred for the other. That's eleven thousand. No, five hundred and or one point one. I thought the gentleman had six hundred thousand. I thought it was two hundred thousand. Whatever, regardless, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, a lot more than both of them. Uh, it got an eight point three out of ten on IMDb and a fifty five on Metascore. Wow. So what I'm seeing here okay. is so lower Metascore but higher rating. Yes, which I think this is the first time that's happened. Yeah. Well, no. No, because I guess, no, because Revolver had like a 25 on Metascore. But that's such a low score that I'm just like, whatever. I don't think that's necessarily true or accurate. Yeah, I don't even know what the hell the Metascore is. So. Who knows? <laughs> I, would probably, I probably could get just as much from this if I didn't even list Metascore, but I think it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's Snatch. Number four, uh, I'm going to go with the, uh, I think you know what I'm number, my number one is. So my number two has got to be Gentleman. My number two for entertainment purposes was King Arthur. Okay. Fair enough. So we already know what Gentleman was. It was, what, uh, a 7.6, I think, on IMDb. Let's do King Arthur. King Arthur was a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb with only 197,000 reviews. And it had a 41 on Metascore. Okay. So the Metascore, I just kind of browsed it a little bit. That is from Metacritic. That is the score given to it by major reviewers mm-hmm. like the Chicago Tribune and stuff like that. So it's an average of all of those different ones um, brought together. Yeah. Which basically it's the people that are paid to watch movies and their bullshit opinion of them. Yep. It pretty much the, it's it's the <laughs> reviewers... I find myself usually falling more in line with like average viewers like yourself or my you or myself mm-hmm. versus like actual movie reviewers. Yeah, generally. And it's like twenty of them, twenty or twenty-one different people. So it, I mean, we'll tell you this: like, it's it's a pretty good, solid score over people that literally make a living out of watching movies. But again, it's. You know, art is subjective, and we've talked about this over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's like, art is completely subjective, and this is art. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, we're, we're talking about what, uh, what the entertainment factor is. Yes. So, obviously, we know what number one is. Yep. For um, you, it would be Sherlock. Mine's Sherlock. Mine's mm-hmm. King Arthur. Yours, King Arthur. Uh, and I know that you put Sherlock down there really low. Yeah. Um, and, and when we... Much ahead. like with, with putting... Because you put gentleman at number four, correct? Mm-hmm. Much like with you, with you, with your reasoning behind putting it there, I put it there because a combination of a story mythos that I'm not too interested in, with which being Sherlock, um, with it being your popcorn flick blockbuster, in my view, uh, that's how I view it. Mm-hmm. It just didn't strike that itch for me as much as you know. Snatch, Arthur, and uh, Gentleman did for me. Because going into it, I wanted to be entertained by Guy Ritchie, and that one seemed the least like Guy Ritchie movies for me. 
even though it's still entertaining. Yes. Does that make sense? That's is that why that's why I rate, it's it does. Not that I think yeah, it's a and bad it's, movie and I at think all. if we, um, and that's why I said like, if I were if I were going to rank these in the flavor of how Guy Ritchie they were or like if I wanted to watch the best Guy Ritchie movies I don't think this is the best Guy Ritchie movie yeah I just I mean truthfully out of these five I think Snatch and then The Gentleman are the best two Guy Ritchie movies with King Arthur right after it um Revolver still goes last uh (laughs) Sherlock I think I really liked the dialogue so much Mm -hmm. and the um that chemistry between Jude Law and Robert Downey Jr. I just really enjoy that, and I do enjoy the mythos of Sherlock a lot because it's something that I'm still listening to and still in the process. So, yeah, I, it just it, it felt really entertaining to me, and I, I just I really just enjoyed that for what it was. It wasn't thought provoking. It didn't challenge me in any way. It wasn't anything like that. It's just pure entertainment for what I go to a movie to see. Like I'd love to go see this in a theater and watch it. It'd have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have had nearly a good conversation afterwards <laughs> yeah imagine you just sitting outside a movie theater like hey do you have like two hours to talk about this movie and a bunch of other guy <laughs> <laughs> like this poor great. like family's trying uh, to like <laughs> hide their kids from you like no don't <laughs> i i knew a person once we went and watched some movies uh, together and the first time we ever watched a movie together i was trying to talk to them about the movie coming out of the theater and they said, I don't talk about the movie until I get to the car. And it really threw me. And then it became an ongoing joke huh. throughout, like, every time we did anything together. I don't, I don't talk about that. I don't talk about concerts before we get to the car. <laughs> Just like, even, even so much has been, like, getting off a roller coaster. I don't talk about the roller coaster ride until we get into the car. I got slapped a lot for that. But I, it just always amused me. But I, I do think it had more to do with processing it. Yeah. And sort of like taking that time to process, which I can respect and also not saying it. Um, and I think part of it, too, if I remember correctly, was not saying part of it for people that may be waiting in line yep. or getting ready to watch it. So you're not spoiling it for anything else, which I, I think the courtesy of that alone is really good Agree. Yeah. Um, and, and admirable. But just it just became an ongoing joke for years. Um, it's a good joke to have. So it, it is a good joke to have. I think that's, that's um, it, right? Yeah, so this brings us to the end of our Take a Gander Guy Ritchie edition. Um, So Bradley, the next Take a Gander, we are going to do something very similar with what we did with the Guy Ritchie movies. Mm -hmm. But this time we're going to do an artist, a musical artist, and we're going to listen listen to five of their albums uh, in chronological order. Uh, This was a tough one to pick simply because there's so many great artists out there. It took like 20 minutes Um, to figure it out. Yeah, what uh, what artist did we decide? Uh, we decided on the Beatles. Okay, I know there are a lot of people out there listening. Like, oh fuck me, these two are stupid. Um, not because they don't like the Beatles, because how do you pick only five albums from the Beatles, and how are you willing to get on air and talk about the Beatles? Because <laughs> we got a tiptoe. But anyway. Um, yeah, guys, this is this was a tough one to come up with five movies, much like it was with the Guy Ritchie films. Um, but we did come up with five, five of these, uh, not movies, five albums. Um, which ones are we listening to, and in what order? So, uh, like with Guy Ritchie, we're going to do um, five albums throughout their discography, uh, starting with their earliest to their latest. Uh, the ones that Jeremy chose, I didn't choose any of these, 
ones that Jeremy chose <laughs> are Please Please Me from 1963, A Hard Day's Night. Which was their inaugural album. Okay. A Hard Day's Night from 1964, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in uh, 1967, uh, Magical Mystery Tour, also from 1967, and then Let It Be from 1970. Their last album. Yes, and and I do want to just point out again, this was not an easy one. I kept going back and forth with which ones to include and which ones not to. But we had to pick five. It's a seven-year time frame, so these are the five we chose. Yeah. The um, only two Beatle yeah. albums and that I recognize we did not choose. Interesting. Abbey Road was and one Yellow of them. Yellow Submarine. Yellow Submarine. The White Album's pretty well. I mean, they're all pretty well known. Obviously, everybody really knows the Beatles. They have an album called Revolver. Should. Yeah, I thought about that one just because, you know, Revolver, but I didn't want it to suck. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, kidding. It, um, Revolver was an okay movie. It just wasn't, eh, it just wasn't it's the best. Okay. No, it wasn't. Um, yeah, so the next Take a Gander is going to be the Beatles' five uh, five of their albums from their discography. Uh, but before we get to that, Bradley, how in the hell do these people find us when we are not in their ears? <laughs> <laughs> Just look deep in your heart, baby. You'll find us. Uh, yeah, you will. Uh, so you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and the Google pros be rad on all of those places. Just go to your search bar and type it in. Nice. You'll find me. And you can find me. Typically, it's like board game Jer, that board game guy, something like that. Um, and you can find it on pretty much all the other ones. Uh, above the board, though, you can find above the board podcast on Twitter, above the board podcast at Gmail, above the board podcast on Facebook, above the board podcast on instagram and yeah get out there hit us up on social media talk to us we're normal people i think semi-normal um but yeah you know interact with us a little bit tell us some things that you would like to hear tell us what you thought about these movies tell us what you thought about our ranking give us your ranking if you have one mm -hmm. that's it for me folks i'm jeremy yeah it's me bradley <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time I'm still recording. Okay, I'm done now.